You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in. Hello, welcome to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Its purpose is to dissect and discuss horror films, both old and new. This episode, we're going to be looking back at Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which was released way back in 1980. It's become a little bit popular lately, uh, thanks to its sequel that is just about to hit cinemas at the time of this record, um, which is called Doctor Sleep, which is also a sequel uh, to uh, the book, The Shining by Stephen King. Um, And it was also written by Stephen King. Although interestingly, the director of that film, uh, Mike Flanagan, has come out when he released the trailer. It definitely, definitely looks like, visually looks like it's a spit follow on from uh, Stanley Kubrick's vision, at least stylistically. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like when that comes out. Until then, we're going to uh, delve into the film prior to that, which obviously, as I said, was Stanley Kubrick's vision. Before we do so, I should introduce myself. I'm the lead host for the series. Um, my name is Saul Muerte. And joining me to discuss The Shining and The Overlook Hotel and everything that comes in between is Richard Lovegrove. Here's Dickie. Hey, Dickie. Hi there. Yay, thank you so much for bringing me on board for The welcome, Shining. Welcome, welcome on board. It's good to have you, sir. Good to have you. Um, Great that you still had a room available. Yes, I know, I know. It was surprising. I hope you don't mind room 237. Um, oh, it's uh, no, it's so one it's of our, our most popular choices. Um, right. I'm going to have a bath. That's what don't I'm don't do. mind the old lady in the bath. Said, oh, oh, oh. Does that cost extra? Uh, <laughs> well, it's up to you, really. Um, the Overlook Hello. Hotel. Um, so, um, we should, um, <laughs> I'm so going to throw that in, you know, it's gonna... Hi, Shelley Duvall. Hi, Shelley Duvall. Um, yeah, look, um, there's so, there's so much to unpack with this movie and I'm, I'm not entirely sure if we're going to be able to do that, um, uh, to the credit that it deserves. But we're going to give it our darndest. We're going to give it our darndest, I tell you. Um, because yes. it is a classic in its own right and, um, and I'll, I'll talk about me for a bit. Um, but um, it's something that I, as I said, came out in 1980. I was only two at the time. Um, so by the time I was aware of its existence, it was fully, fully immersed in the horror genre scene. Um, and so many iconic images had come out of it. Um, I, I would have watched it, man, sometime uh, in my teens, I guess, uh, for the first time. And I was simply blown away by the cinematography more than anything. There was an offer. That's what, what really shook me more more than the content, it has to be said. Um, and I, interestingly, as I said, it was it was based on the book by Stephen King. And there's a lot of differences um, around it. And supposedly or allegedly, Stephen King turned his nose up at nose up at this version that uh, Kubrick put yeah, together. Like it. Um, but I came at this watching the film first before the book even though i've pretty much read most of stephen king's early early books anyway mm-hmm. and was was massively into it at the time 
um, all his novels and stuff, particularly it, and we've talked about it and Christine and the like. Um, but um, but weirdly, it was one of those ones, the novels that is that I hadn't picked up on. I didn't read it until a lot later on, and I had definitely watched the movie beforehand. So I kind of went at it in a different way. So when we do kind of unpack this thing, I will kind of refer to what I remember from the book um, and its and its comparatives um, or differences between that and the movie. Mm. Um, but I think fundamentally, like we will, t- we're, we're here to talk about the movie. I know it's based on the book, but like it's such a different style and different vision. It's so removed from what the book was mm. um, that it's hard. It's yeah, we should probably just focus on what Kubrick's vision was. Um, but it's it's the origins as well. Like you know, as in yeah. what has started, it's a starting point that uh, another director has either written a similar story or, or expanded on. Yeah, um, yeah. Certain elements of a story, which um, even comparing a book to a movie is so hard because obviously you're going to have to leave stuff out. There's so much more you can pack into a book, and the interpretation of a book is yeah. so much more. But that's what's good about the two mediums. There are two different uh, universes or you know worlds or whatever. Yeah, and I guess that's how I look at it too. Like it, they're they're very different, but obviously they're born of the same universe, and so it, it's kind of um, and that's how I do look at it. It is like looking at parallel versions of of mm. what is the kernel beneath it. And obviously they you know, they have the, the shining element is, is, in, in, is prevalent throughout. The, yeah, it's, it's, the, yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for, we're shining at the moment. So we that's are, why we are, we're connecting, man. We're connecting. Do you feel it? You feel exactly. That? Exactly. And for anyone who doesn't know what The Shining is, it's it's pretty much a um, a psychological um, uh, connection that people can have, or, or a sense mm. of the future or the surroundings. Am I right on that? Yeah, yeah, and it shifts it shifts in uh, through time, space, and uh, mm. and and all that that comes in between that supernatural elements. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. So it's kind of like past elements, um, and and some have stronger. Uh, have a stronger shining than others. Mm. Um, some people are gifted with it, and some people. Yeah, and we in the film we get to see two people that have the shining. Uh, obviously, the key one was is Danny Torrance, uh, the the kid in it, and who spoilers um, appears in um, in the sequel um, a lot older. Um, mm. But um, the other guy is Dick. Dick Halloran, who's the uh, is the uh, caretaker of, of the Overlook Hotel, who is basically leaving it to for the winter winter months. Uh, at which point, we have Jack Nicholson stepping in as um, uh, it's going to be the caretaker over the winter periods whilst yeah, the hotel exactly. is closed down. Yeah, so uh, basically, just got to uh, in, in the book, he's got to maintain the pressure in the boiler mainly. Isn't can't it? Can't take the and, pressure. He can't take the pressure, which we'll yeah. get into later on. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, um, somatic and insane. Exactly, and he's a recovering alcoholic, which is um, in earlier scenes, at least in this film, uh, is is brought into um, the foreground. Uh, knowledge of his past and the incident with Danny, uh, in which he yeah, was, and I and I love all that stuff, and like, and that is that isn't mm. all that part of it is actually in the book. Like he he is somebody who struggles with um, with alcohol. Uh, and and his temper that kind of rises to the forefront um, mm. when he he is intoxicated, um, 
Mm. And but he does his his whole ploy like he get he's basically a, a teacher who's uh, but he's trying to in the book in the film sorry he uh, he's so a writer a, is he's writing the screenplays what he's trying to do um, but in the book he is a novelist who hasn't been very successful and he's resorted to teaching English and he kind of keeps ruining what's happened you know what's happened and where his life's gone and mm. um and regretting some choices he's made um and he alcohol becomes you know a, a massive crutch for him and there's one incident in the book where he and a fellow kind of teacher guy um they're driving home from quite a, a bit of a bender and they see a tricycle in the road uh, and they hit it. The other guy's the one that's driving, not, mm. not Jack. Um, but they um, they hit the tricycle and they have this moment of thinking that they've hit a kid. Um, but it turns out, well, we never know if they did hit a, hit a kid or not because they can't find a body. So they presume it was just a bike that was randomly in the middle of the road. But it's never really proven whether or not it was, you know. But it shakes them. Yeah, but it shakes it, and it shakes him enough that he realizes he needs to stop. Um, okay. And, and, so, and so there's not yeah. the incident in the book with the breaking of the arm of Danny's arm. That does too. That does happen too. So okay. But that isn't that that that's the thing that um, uh, I'm going to say Shelley Duvall because I can't remember her her character's name. Hi, I'm Shelley Duvall. Hi, Shelley. Um, uh, Wendy, oh, it's Wendy. Yes, oh Wendy, of course. Wendy, light of my life. Um, I was going <laughs> to ask if the nice. chronology was similar to in the book as to the movie before they get to the hotel. You know, before you get the opening shot, which is fantastic, with them driving along the yeah. the, the road thing to it. But then you'll get the moments of um, the meeting beforehand when he's actually yeah. before he's got the job. Yes. Is it flashbacks like that, or, or, or is it, yeah, just wondering about the chronology before no, they get pretty, to the hotel? It's pretty, it's, no, it's pretty much in chronological form. Um, and so we have all that stuff happen. So, like, nothing, there's no kind of flashbacks, you know. Mm-hmm. And he, when he goes to the hotel to have an interview, he is on his own. He's not with the family at that point. Yeah. But Danny... Uh, gets echoes or picks up what's kind of happening at the time he, uh, from his dad. So he's able to kind of, and he knows he knows before the dad comes home and announces he's got the job, he knows that he's got the job and he tells yep. his mum that, you know, that he had coming home with good news. So, Because, yeah. again, that was in the film too. We, we see that and that's the first time we see uh, Danny yeah. talking to uh, Tony, who's his finger. And interestingly enough, in the audition for that, I um, heard, uh, I don't know if it's exactly okay, true, you, auditioned Tony, you, you auditioned for Tony? Uh, no, no, I didn't audition for I would have, <laughs> yeah, when it came out in 1980, uh, I would have been <laughs> five. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but in the audition, apparently um, it was the actor, I don't know the actor's name uh, at hand, who played Danny, uh, the little boy, but he did that with his finger. That was something that he brought to the audition and they liked. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's true. It's, no, 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 uh, I heard the same thing. It's Danny Lloyd is the is the actor. Danny Lloyd. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I heard the same thing. He was the one that, that just started doing that because, yeah, it just kind of sat right with him to 
yeah. to do that. Like, because he kind of needed to, well, from his point of view, he kind of needed to disconnect what was going on or give it some kind of presence. Life. So, and that's the, that's the thing that struck me. I've, I've read a lot of stuff around Kubrick mm. and, and I've watched some, a lot of his movies, right? And I, it never really, everything's so orchestrated with his movies and, and the cinematography, as, as I've already mentioned, is, is next to none. Um, like it's unfounded. It, he, everything has to be in a certain way, shot in a certain fashion. And it's mm. so, it feels so controlled. Mm. And yet I've read so many things about how when it comes to the acting side of things that there's a lot of, freedom and ad-libbing and and you know the whole here's johnny dialogue yeah. is jack nicholson ad-libbing and yeah. that it really surprised me to learn that because i was just like how does that fit into somebody's who is a visionist who is so kind of meticulous about what yeah how you see on perfectionist and yeah to me that doesn't mm-hmm. marry i don't know like i don't know yeah. what do you what do you yeah. feel about that as a there was a very interestingly enough, um, I was discussing this, I think it was the cinematography with someone who was studying uh, cinematography at university at the time. Yeah. And they were saying that how Stanley Kubrick did everything, every shot was planned, everything was planned. And I was like, have you seen the um, behind the scenes documentary that um, Stanley Kubrick's daughter, Vivian, um, did uh, when she's walking around and, and you see the, the, um, the part where Jack is locked in the kitchen uh, vault in the freezer yeah um and he's doing that thing from uh it's a shot below in between his legs shooting up at his face as he's saying wendy go and check the com radios check it out haha <laughs> all that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah right and and he says what about under here and he just sits underneath him with the lens gets him to do the uh the part again and he goes yeah that'll work and I was, I, I took from that a lot of the idea of going, everything is planned. Like the amount of people who need to be put together to, to get on that day and they all need to know something. We're doing this. Now, a script is usually given for the basis of everything. That's where the starting lot, everything goes, the, the storyboard, everything comes from that script uh, or the book, which is then converted to screenplay. Um, but um, from that, you'll get on the set on the day, and especially with a director like Stanley Kubrick, who's got his own vision and he's telling his own story. It's not like you're going, a writer is telling a director what to do. He's written his own thing based on The Shining by St- uh, Stephen King. Yeah. Uh, and the part of the story which is resonating with him that he's telling, and he knows at least how much he wants that to be seen from where he can see it from. Um, uh, and so a lot of the times when conspiracy theories, especially attached to this film, come from it, same as with it when saying everything was planned down to the point. Yes, like they shot that blood coming out of the um, the doors yeah. on miniature and did all that because it was what he knew he wanted. He's been working with cameras and taking still photography since he was in his teens, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think that he knows lenses. He knows yeah. the the hardware at its basis to what to get to do. He knows how he can see it and how he can get a camera to, to at least emulate as close to that as he can get. Uh, so marrying that together with the plan that he's got and the cinematographer who's sitting there going, okay, I know what's happening in sequence yes. and how we're seeing it. Then seeing the rushes at the end of the day going, oh, okay. Yeah. We've got that because it's, it's not a lot of his shots don't, focus directly on one element of what the film could be about. Um, 
there are a lot of long shots. There's a lot of long takes. There's a lot of following people through multiple scenes with yes, yes, and artwork yes. on the, on the walls and um and and photos. And yeah. So a lot of people have nitpicked that because it is such a cult following. Yeah. And it's really interesting to to read into a lot of the different conspiracies and um and uh, like there's films was it two room two three seven but also um, a lot of YouTube videos. One of my favorite ones, which goes into the gold standard and how um, that could be told through the film because a lot of the photos on the wall are of celebrities and of politicians and are of um, people who are involved with the transition from the gold standard to uh, the Federal Reserve Bank. Yes, Um, yes. And that was like the last golden era of the people who had gold. Uh, And that was, of course, at a time when their banknotes, their... um, the legal team to notes like we have today would be able to be taken to the bank and redeemed for gold in literal physical gold form. Uh, and so the reserve, when the reserve bank came in, that basically turned it back to everyone now is just going into numbers. The current system we know today, everything is just in banks and numbers and it's all theoretical or software, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Was taken away. And it was bought back by the banks at a lower cost than it was usually dealt with um, at the time. So there was a lot of animosity they thought could have been around this time of, of these very rich people who would have these lavish parties in massive ballrooms. Yes, uh, and, and part yes. of the reason it being fashioned yeah. out of gold was um, uh, in one documentary, apparently it said that it was supposed to be silver because, again, silver was similar to gold. You could. Um, trade in your currency for, for silver instead. Uh, mm-hmm. And they abolished that like they did. So they um, had it all, uh, the gold room layered in silver tiles, but then were told a couple of weeks later by Stanley Kubrick, no, 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 change it now all to gold. It's all going to be gold. So they had to take it all down, put it all back up. Yeah. Um, sorry, going back to what I was saying with it, I think that even within the art of filmmaking, um, there's so many people involved and there's so many steps that uh, are filtered processes through yeah. that uh, it, as much as it is one vision, a lot of people do have their say in the story-making process and com- compiling all of that together. But even artists, as great as someone has planned and knows what that shot's going to be, they might know everything except for the angle at which it looks best on the day with that actor or yes, yes. set pieces in the background. Like it's, um, it, it is still, it, it's not taking away from the perfectionist and the brilliance that obviously the planning he does. He was very meticulous. And we spoke uh, before about um, how he had unfinished films uh, about yeah, Napoleon and the Second right. World War, which he did a lot of research and, and uh, accumulated a lot of data and artifacts from, which never ended up uh, seeing the light of day, unfortunately. But um, it's, it's that meticulousness and that preparation which allows him then to go, oh, this is now what I, I can include. I can include the <clears throat> Native American artwork in this scene because it's so beautiful and it works in this longer, larger shot, which, with again, the action of the actors might work better. Um, even in the uh, ha- hacking down the door with the axe, yes. uh, using a, a tripod that has a, um, a pan stopper, like, you know, it, it just something that stops the camera really like you know harshly just so that you get that impact of the shot when it slams into the the wall same yeah. thing is it's one of the first uses of the steady cam yes. um, with um someone in a wheelchair and a propped device of the uh, camera that's um, right find it as danny's running down the um the hallways yeah so, yeah. yeah it's it's that uh, every film like look at gravity as in very rarely do people look at films and go oh they've used a technique that's 
literally been made up on that day or yeah, yeah. in a couple of weeks in preparation because or just even for that specific shot because they go how else are we going to be able to do this in the capacity that we know how or have the the ability to do here and now um but the brilliance of that too i think in the shining specifically gives the viewer so many options to where you want to take it it's not the story that stephen king set because even with the mini series you've got the boiler story you've got yeah, that, yeah. every other bit which was left out but it, it's not as impacting as this story is it supernatural are there any supernatural elements is it is it just a man going insane from his alcoholism is it um about uh homosexuality like you know as in with the mm. conspiracy theories that come into it because of the magazines that he's reading at the beginning and then that in room 237 the stupid thing of see look at this where his his hip lines up with the thing and it's his big black cock sticking out there just because it lines <laughs> up with something that's on his table and right. it's just like there's so much more in this that you can take away yeah, from yeah, yeah. but um but also too down to the the um the set being built where in that office um where he's they're having that meeting there's a window behind him which shouldn't specifically be there because of how the rest of the building and the architecture is built around it actually the brick wall or a hallway um because you see something go behind there but besides that it's not it doesn't even need to be mentioned in the film if you watch that film you wouldn't notice it you wouldn't even think of it but it's just more to take away from it is it something that he meant to say is it not is it i don't know yeah yeah you know if you've been seeing the block it might have been just been a a light wall that they've put (laughs) thing that the judges say no (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it bring it home mitch and mark bring it home i i you know like uh, you're touching on some you know obvious obvious points and and i like the idea of that it's an interpretation a movie should be about that and that's maybe Mm -hmm. why this movie does I'm jumping ahead because I normally cast this question at the end, but maybe this is why the movie does still stand the test of time because mm. uh, it is always going to be open to interpretation. And yeah, like sometimes you do view it as like, it's this, the one thing I would say is that this is very much Jack Nicholson's movie. He, oh, he yeah. owns this, he, he breathes the role through it. Mm. Whereas in the book, um, it's a shared collective experience between Wendy, Jack, and Danny when they enter the place. Um, mm. And also um, Dick Halloran's character has has narrative too. So, and it, so it's not, whereas this film really, it's really about Jack and his, whether it's, um, where am I going with that? So like with the, the overlook in the book, it, the Overlook Hotel itself is is a presence, and it it it's like a um, a portal, if you will, or dark energy and matter to channel through. And over the years, has harnessed some strange uh, or or questionable personalities um, within its walls. And some of them were the mafioso. Um, and and things like that, which there's hints at, um, and so there are these ghosts that hang around there because the energy is so strong. Mm. And then we get like the um, the meeting of energies, if you will, between this dark energy that's manifested within the Overlook Hotel and how it um, uh, conflicts then uh, with the energy, the shining energy that Danny host holds. Um, mm. So it is an interesting book. I do recommend people read it um, in its own right. Um, But as you say, like Kubrick has chosen to go down a certain way. 
and uh, our interpretation of that, as in, I'm not talking about the differences, I mean, like, of Jack's journey into that Overlook Hotel, you're right, is, is, is it a descent into madness? Is it, like, you know, one of the, um, one of the conspiracy, uh, sorry, one of the uh, theories behind it is that it's, um, that uh, Jack's character himself is the embodiment of the devil within it, you know, and it's about hell and the Overlook Hotel is, is hell and, um, you know, and Jack's role is to try and lure um, Danny's innocence into hell, essentially. Mm. Um, so, like, yeah, you could take it any way, which way you, you want to, really. Mm. Um yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's a really fascinating movie. Yeah, um, yeah, and again, the ability to pick it apart, but even just mm. to set it alone as a horror element itself is yeah. it stands as the time. Because even you were saying you were drawn in by the cinematography. As a kid, I can't remember exactly when I saw the whole film, mm. but I remember seeing it um, uh, recently um, again and just falling in love with it completely again. Yeah, but yeah. Seeing those uh, scenes and. Um, the shots and how they've they've been done were like uh, printed in my mind, yeah. um, and that's what was what drew me to go. Okay, well, let's have a, a, a gander finally at this sort of uh, film. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think yeah, I saw the mini series actually as a whole before I saw. The yeah, Shining. okay, that's interesting. Yeah, because um, obviously the mini series is, is a bit close. Uh, follows the book a lot more closely, like you said, with the boiler stuff and. and yeah. What essentially is Jack's demise is very different. Mm. Um, yeah, and that actor as well who played Jack in that miniseries was brilliant. He played uh, Jack in uh, Reefer Madness as well when they did the musical version of that with Alan Cummings. Uh, and it was, yeah, he was great. And his insane Jack version was just, he was terrifying yeah. um, in that miniseries. Um, but really, really good. Um, but again, you're, you're right, the Jack Nicholson um, and his portrayal of Jack. Uh, Torrance was uh, iconic because it was the starter for so many other, like, you know, rip-offs, and, but also character tropes too and, and the ability to show those sort of um, manic things in a, a I guess, yeah. more, I don't want to say, like, you know, it's a conventional film, but it became so household almost. Mm. Everyone sort of saw this film, so it was just like, okay, it gives you a lot more things. But also too, just on that, I remember hearing something about... Um, when they were doing the the knocking down of the the door at the end, the here's Johnny. That they gave him a uh, fake, uh, like the the wood that they put up was fake, and so it would be easier for him to hack through it. And he just because yeah. he was a fireman or something like that, he just went straight through it in one go. And so they went, okay, let's put a real door there. <laughs> so, yeah, nice. Um, yeah, but uh, again, on that um, the documentary, the making of uh, Shining by Vivian. Yes. Kubrick, uh, which is on my YouTube uh, channel. I've got it uh, at the Rush Cutters on YouTube if you look them up. Um, it's got a scene where he, they're prefer- preparing before it and you see like someone walking through the first AD or something, mm. doing something. Uh, but Jack going, ah, ah, ah. Oh, yeah, I've seen that clip. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. It's awesome. Like that whole, and I guess that's the thing. And I, and I like the fact that we are jumping around this and I, uh, you know, and, and not necessarily to the narrative, but we, we will kind of come back and plow through that in a bit but um i, I did want to kind of touch because i know that you, you're schooled in acting and and the art of performance mm-hmm. um and 
from uh, from somebody that has studied that medium, how do you how did you take um, uh, Jack Nicholson's approach to his character within this? But he's embodying the part. He's like he's living and breathing the role. Um, anyway, oh yeah. Um, so um, and so much so that I mean, this is you know you look up stuff on this, and there's countless stories about how Kubrick, between Kubrick and Nicholson, they basically scarred Shelley Duvall's uh, life beyond <laughs> yes. any any chance for her to kind of gain any kind of sanity again. Yeah, um, yeah, I shouldn't laugh, but yeah, you look at the um that making of documentary, and you're still like, yeah, they're very harsh on on Shelley. Yeah, uh, I'm Shelley Duvall. Yeah, it, it is really really interesting. Hello, I'm Shelley Duvall. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but but look, so from from a, from a from a performer's perspective, though, how did you hmm. how did you take Jack Nicholson's approach to to his to taking on the character of Jack? Yeah, well, unfortunately, we we don't get to see a lot of uh, beforehand, like you know, hmm. as in if they did uh, much rehearsal, if, if, if a lot. Um, a lot of the people were saying um, that they would just have to read for like, you know, a role and not know what it's for. And a lot of the time as an actor, that's usually what you have to do, especially for big films that are done by anybody big. Um, like Ghostbusters being done now and it's it's being filmed under the title Rust City. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, yes. all that sort of stuff happens. So a lot of the time you just have to bring forth something. So you go, okay, this is a, a guy who's going to lose it. So if you look at the comparisons in the early bits, even in the bar, mm. and that's why I, I said hammy, because I don't think his performance is hammy because you go, he's as much as a far out film it is, even if we legitimately take this, so he believes what it is, it's still a little bit far fetched for him. I mean, he's hallucinating or are they ghosts? Whatever. He's going along with it. And so um, that interpretation, a lot of the time is just uh, him, him finding something, to do and then doing it. Um, uh, and, and luckily for someone like uh, Jack Nicholson, he's done so many things. I mean, you look at him back at um, Little Shop of Horrors, uh, which mm. he did as uh, in that scene where he's getting worked on by the dentist. He's, I think, the guy who loves pain. Yes. This isn't the musical, by the way. This is the one before the musical. Yeah, yeah. I, I know the one you mean, the Roger Corman version, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he's very over the top and very like Jerry yeah. Lewis almost. Um, but then you see him at the earlier scenes in this um, and the scenes as well in the bed when he's sort of just out of his head or even just waking yeah, yeah. up in the morning and stuff. He's The character is an, a recovering alcoholic who is in the middle of nowhere struggling to find ideas to write for a book. A whole time, the weight of everything, like the, the oppression of the snow, he doesn't like his wife. He's... He, yeah injured his kid and so he can't connect with that like you know um he's got so much to work with even just with all of that even if you yeah. don't know what the script is on that day you go i know how i'm how i feel uh so then going into those and then lifting it to the the heights of having to knock down a wall because it's all so probably shot out of sequence yes. so they wouldn't be doing it in order of the things so you go oh great now i'm worked up now i can do that next scene tomorrow yeah um, you go, okay, eight o'clock at night. Now you've got to go up to the room and hack down a, a, a wall and just do that for that night because mm. the next night then you can do something else, which is out of order again. But a good director won't be saying, okay, feel this at this point or do this at this point, but they'll be saying, this is where we're coming from and this is what's happening. Yeah. And from yeah. that, you'll go, okay, I know what to do. And 
your lines are there. You've just gone over them. And so you go, now I just need to react to what the other actor is giving me, what the set is giving me. And so um, the hardest part, a lot of actors don't get told, or especially when people throw the term method acting around, is yeah. how to come out of it. And uh, it's interesting because it's such a psychological drain, not necessarily going in and being in there, but then having to go, oh, that's not me. It's not yes. real life. Stop. Like, you know, as in yes. and pull back because anything could sort of spark it again because you've got to go back into action again and you, and you have to have that ready on the fly because they might take 50 minutes to set up a light or something like this, but then yeah, you've got to pull it yeah. out, of, out of nowhere and be at the same point you were at whenever the last bit was last shot. So, um, yeah, it's... It, it's a lot of the time like hardest bring it out and again in that documentary you'll see a moment when he's doing that whole check it out wendy ha ha and doing that manic laugh yeah and then he'll go ha, ha, and he'll just have to bring it right back and that's like slamming the brakes on when you're going at high yeah. speed yeah and it's, yeah for a lot of actors well, i'm teaching it screenwise a lot and yeah. uh, a lot of people are told to use a lot of methods but not told how to come out of them or sure. to take the time to do that yes and and actors should know that they should be selfish on the set and just do that, take that time. Another, what was it, a thing I heard from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. There was a sequence in which the stunt double for uh, uh, Meatloaf yeah. was driving around in Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul, around this big tiled area that's on a big ramp and stuff. Yeah. And it's only had a flimsy makeshift steel barrier there and so he um went up in one turn and fell down off part of the tiled area slammed down and this is a the, the motorcycle they were using was a real like i don't know if it was a world war ii one but it was a real heavy that style like you know everything was real and, and old and heavy yeah and so it landed on him and everyone thought he was dead and right. so they went up to him and he didn't move for like 30 seconds to a minute and they like helped him out and they said why didn't you do anything he said when he came out I was like oh I'm okay I'm good and he said because I had to take that time to literally lie there and do a check of all my body parts is this hurting what's hurting what can I move yeah. if he can't move or nothing's uh, getting any feeling anywhere you've got to then go okay my blah blah blah's broken don't move my neck or you wow. know, whatever so in every uh, and I, I think with actors a lot of people sort of brush it off but it's it's a psychological drain to go into things and not get caught there. So, um, sorry, just having a little moment of that. No, so no, that I, I, that's fascinating, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It really so is. The, yeah, people should take that time because a lot of the time you, you will go home with that, like, unresolved issue in your head because you'll still be angry about something or you'll still be unresolved about yes, something. It's literally yes, yes. Because 100%. the same suddenly got worked up about whatever. Oh, my God, I've got to go and change my shoes. Like, you know, it's something meaningless. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, again, it's, it's just one of those psychological things. And luckily now we've got the ability to talk about a lot more of these um, uh, mental impacts that people yeah. have. And especially for actors, it's, it's, again, as I said, it's something overlooked. The same as models and anyone who works in, in an artistic mm. uh, representation. Like, like any artist, if your art gets ridiculed or, or whatever, you've got to have times to, to go in and come out, especially after seeing the Joker, um, certain behind the scenes uh, of him walking off set. Yeah. Some, he... he he removed himself from the situation because he knew that was what was best for yeah. doing the job. He's yeah. doing his job. And, um, and again, that's that what it comes down to even for them. And that's again, Jack Nicholson is such a good professional because he does that. And all the marketing, Shelley Duval obviously had problems with that and would speak candidly to the camera. But the whole time with Jack Nicholson, he would speak about the film, about the job and, and yeah. what went on. Obviously when pressed about the director and stuff, he would be like, you know what definitely seems candid and stuff like that too. But 
like Brad Pitt and everything well was yes. that you sell the film, you do your job. And, yeah, and part yeah. of that too is, is knowing how much you need to lend yourself to a role. Um, and, and again, yeah, you see a good recovery of how he does it because straight after that, he helps someone up. I think it's the cameraman or something like that. He, uh, he goes okay. out of his way to be like as mean as he was in that, he's going to yeah. try and be nice to let, not, not to let anyone know that he's not that person, but to remind yeah. himself who he uh, is. Yeah. yeah, you know yeah. What I, mean? I absolutely, I, I get that 100%. The, um, the, the, I'm reminded of a time when I was studying drama at university and uh, there was a scenario where this, uh, one of our colleagues was directing and it was like a very ad-libbed kind of improvised scenario um, that he just wanted to let us play out. There's a series of exercises he was trying to get us to do, essentially. And I remember in the moment, like, um, having a confrontation. The scene ended up escalating, and I was having this confrontation, a verbal confrontation with a fellow actor um, in the role, you know, in the heat of the role that I was doing. And I literally got to the point where, as that character, I would have punched the other one. Mm. And I had to stop because I was like, I don't want, I didn't want to hurt my 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 colleague. Yeah. So I literally had to. I think we were given like these things. Like he did kind of the director guy did kind of preface stuff and said, if you ever want to tap out or drop out, just raise this raise the card that you've got in your hand or whatever it was. And I let, and that's what I had to do. And I was just like, and I said, I'm really sorry, but like my next action would have been punching him. Um, yeah. And I, you know, didn't want to go down that road. But I, so I completely identified with that kind of need to. Uh, you know, but that's great. Did what, what was the what was the advice the teacher then gave at that point? Do you remember at all? Uh, I'm trying to remember that because I'm going back a fair way. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fine. Uh, so let's see. Like, um, I think that I think we actually had to just uh, we down tools for a bit, and as a group came back and had a chat around the char- the characters themselves because we were essentially the com- the concept of it was that we were building these characters very kind of Mike Lee in a sense where you kind of improvise these characters and you mm. put like the personalities around them and so there was a moment where we sat down and had to discuss the impact that that would have had if you know if uh, in that scenario what would have occurred if that character had have become violent and the and the flow on effect and so it mm. kind of allowed us to explore that a little bit you know and then I think we then picked it up um after the fact you know so say that like the blowouts occurred and then we picked it up and said and, and played out the scenarios if that had had a, um had actually have played out yeah 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 that's really cool was that a, a meisner sort of yes meisner that's exactly it yeah, yeah absolutely yeah thank you far out i'm having yeah, I'm like I've, a lot of that info is all buried in in the back of my recesses somewhere that's great um, but yeah definitely it was the reality of doing yeah 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 and i used to i really like that and that i uh and this is my turn to go off on a tangent but that's that's the area that i really enjoyed as an actor was kind of the improvisational kind of aspect that you kind of play with the character and yeah. um and you know you find your way into the character you find that connection that one little uh seed that connects you with that character and then you can kind of start fleshing it out from there um yeah yeah no well i was even going to say within that too it's it's that brilliant time because even when acting as a job like you know if, if you're your uh, actor has to get to sort of that position, making then those choices. It's, it's interesting because you have those fight or flight moments um, because again, you're, you're having, you're, you're there 
as much mm. as you're acting, you're doing, you're yeah. eye to eye with another person and you're getting everything that's saying, this is real and yeah. I'm going to react. And so exactly, it's, um, it, it's important to know that how much control you have and influence over it because the other actor you might be working with might not be as in control of their emotions as maybe you are because at yeah. that moment, you might be able to channel it and go, okay, I would hit him. So what else would I do? I'm going to act like I'd hit him, but not go anywhere near him threateningly, yes. you know, but yeah, by physically yeah, yeah. doing something or by walking off and doing something with my hair and, and tossing it in a way and going, oh, yeah. or, you know, um, but I, like, I, again, yeah. I'm reminded again of another, another one where I was uh, playing a role in Edward Bond saved. Um, and there's a moment in that where, uh, the character in the actual script of the play, because we were only doing like these little snippets, but in the play, like he, the the guy, the character I played is left alone with the baby in the pram, and he kind of basically smashes the pram up in a in a heat of violence. So effectively, you know, physically uh, attacking a, a an undefended child, an infant, mm-hmm. um, and we had to kind of give an instant of that without actually going into into it too deeply. So, and we, I think I actually had to do something with the brand, but just kick it or something. So it was insinuating what was about to happen. Um, so, we, and the concept around that was that we were doing these moments that just before the precipice, if you will, with, mm-hmm. with these scenes. So just at that moment before the, uh, the drama hits, I'm mean, exploring yeah. uh, that. And that was the scene that we did for, for saved. And that, yeah, it struck me. It's interesting, like again, to tap out at that moment mm. and see what what that does. How does that feel? Not just an actor, but for an audience watching that, because mm. um, you kind of yeah. know where it's going. You know, uh, even those that aren't familiar with the script. Um, exactly. Anyway, look, we're we're going massively off tangent. Like, it's really interesting. We're going massively on tangent. Oh, and hell, I, I was even going to bring it straight back to that because we have yeah. shots like that, which, like you know. Uh, Shelley Duvall. Hi, I'm Shelley Duvall. Hello. Running down the. I'm Shelley Duvall. Yeah. Hi, Shelley Duvall. Um, uh, running down the hallway, exactly, and getting moments like that, which is like you know those precipice of moments where we're cut away from or or both. Like you know the guy who's got the drink and the axe wound in the head. We go, we're cut off before and after, and it was just like an image of him. Yeah. So it's 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 those same elements of tension again working into that. And yeah, part yeah. Of the reason that film usually does work better is because you don't have the constrictions of stage and theater because you, you have to be quiet. You have to rush off whatever. At least you've got the cut and the weight or the, you, you stop the scene. You know yes. what I mean? We'll get another yeah. cut, especially now in the digital age. Um, back then, obviously we see Shelley Duvall and Stanley Kubrick having that tussle over the, um, so many things, yeah. um, her losing her hair over things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. It's terrible. It wouldn't happen today. Well, no. we'd like to think oh. that. I know you don't. You um, don't think so. Hello, yeah. I'm Shelley Duvall. Um, so, yeah, let, let's <laughs> let's get into the let's get into the narrative a little bit now. I mean, I like we've okay. been kind of glossing through this stuff, and and we'll we'll do it fairly loosely, like I said, because I, I I love tangents, mate. I thought to me, I find them interesting, um, and I you and people that often listen to these podcasts have probably noticed that I let I often leave those in. Uh, I, I do find them interesting to listen back to. Um, but yeah, so like, so as you said, like the opening, like the scene that we see um, is, is him arriving, you know, Jack Torrance arriving at the Overlook Hotel. Um, it's this beautiful location, um, kind of set in the Rocky Mountains. Um, and 
we're led to believe that the site uh, is built um, on uh, Native American burial ground. Um, which again is another one of those conspiracy theories that has kind of cropped up as well. I, I can go back right to the first, like you know, yeah. shot. If you want to talk conspiracy yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. theories, let's just say theories. Yeah. So yeah, even if you've seen two room two three seven, they've got the bit where um it says that the uh, a title lines up with the car at a certain point. Yes. Um, if you play the film backwards and forwards, there's so many things that line up directly at this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the clouds are supposed to be an outline of Stanley Kubrick if you, I guess, Photoshop it in there. Oh, I should say, yeah, watch YMS's review of 237. YMS uh, stands for, of course, Your Movie Sucks. Yes. Um, a friend of mine actually um, edits their stuff. Uh, it, okay. Yeah, it's, it's really good, but he debunks, well, debunks, I shouldn't say that, but for lack of a better word, not everything in it is like this, but he'll go through it and, and say some of the things that he finds quite interesting yeah 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 but yeah yeah from that very yeah beginning you've got interesting shots but again what with that score and those that long opening low shot that then comes up over the trees the cars introduced this yellow beetle which wasn't the car it was a red beetle is that right Uh, yes i think so yes yeah because jumping ahead but this is makes relevance um when dick halloran is driving back to the hotel he passes an accident and in that accident is a red beetle and they some people as another theory think that that's a dig at um from stanley kubrick to uh, stephen king for being upset at it oh really (laughs) he just threw it off the side in the car accident right okay okay but yeah yeah, yeah. sorry (laughs) Yeah, too many interpretations, I guess. Like, I did read that thing about how there was one theory as well about how it's supposed to be watched forward and backwards. Yes. Um, yeah, they, yeah. I think there's a version on YouTube or something. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and because of the video. So many movies. Um, yeah. And obviously because, um, uh, you know, it's a play on the whole red rum kind of backwards is murder kind of thing as well. So, uh, yeah. um, so it's kind of played out of that kind of theory behind it um yeah so uh yeah so we have the whole kind of that opening bit there and he gets hired to kind of come to the hotel um and this is where the manager also starts to so we kind of keep cut between uh jack in the office with the hotel manager and yeah. basically uh shelly devel's character wendy and uh danny outside Mm. Uh, or in the hotel um and another theory which i found quite interesting on 237 was as they're going into a room in danny's uh, in, in through a door i think it's the bathroom yeah. um on the wall there's a whole bunch of stickers and oh i could be wrong is it goofy one of the disney mm. characters isn't there and then it is in the next shot it is oh right so is it a continuity error or is it them saying something like he uses, I think this is when he's first talking to Danny, um, uh, not Danny, sorry, to Tony. Yes, yeah? yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So, yeah, I think it was the supposed to be the idea because that's when he gets the first visions of bad stuff, doesn't he? Yes, that's right. I think, and they call the doctor because he has an episode. Yeah, um, that's um, like he's no longer goofy or something like that. It was supposed yeah, to yeah. be the idea of now he's got like the um, tree of knowledge, you know, and now he knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I think that's cool. Like, yeah, <laughs> definitely but um yeah yes, and, yeah it's interesting in the office as well um they say that the previous caretaker had uh murdered his 
wife and daughter. Yes, yeah, that's right. That's what I was going to say, and that is that is kind of alluded to. Well, that is spoken about in the book as well. Yeah, pretty blatantly. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, and you know, and and the reason I like that is because here is the way that it is setting. It's sowing the seed of what's going to come. Essentially, mm. the audience already know of an instant incident mm. where a family. A male caretaker has killed his family. And I think his uh, name was Charles Grady. Yeah, that sounds right too. Yeah. 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 Because then obviously later on we meet Delbert Grady, which is the whole illusion of generational things. And so another theory is the idea that of the generational killings. And so whether or not Danny is going to return and do the same thing or have a similar sort of thing where it's going to be encumbered by the dark spirits and and again as you were saying um the house being a resident thing empowered by uh the uh, native american uh, uh, slaughter i don't know if it was a, just in a burial ground or there's supposed to be is there anything more in the book how like there was bad wars or anything like that there where where indigenous people were killed there oh maybe i'm trying so to remember there might have um, been. I, I, look, I, I read the book. I did read the book semi recently, but like it was a fair while ago before before we come out of recording this. No, you're right. I just but, thought it would have made sense. I guess in that more torment would I, mean. More, I, I know there's a whole series of stuff that's happened anyway, and it's and a lot of it's, you know, where the, the hotel has changed hands and stuff, and it's mm. always like bad money and bad energy that surrounds mm. it. Uh, yeah, white man's burden, Lloyd. White man's man. burden. Yeah. Um, um, if not, we know that it's on a, an ancient Indian burial ground. Yeah, yeah. That's Lines right. which we can't write anymore. <laughs> <laughs> also, just on that, yeah. I think it's so funny how they refer to the Native Americans as Indians purely because the guy who, who found the place, quote unquote, um, was uh, he thought he was near India. So he thought that those Native people were like, from India, as oh, in, right. okay. yeah, right. in Asia, and so that's why he called them Indians. And we like it was still referred to as that. I thought that's, that's hilarious. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's bizarre. Yeah, yeah really um, bizarre. But yes, ancient Indian burial ground. Us, us. Um, and making that's it not, much and more. that's not something that uh, just on the ancient Indian burial ground. That's something that uh, King has tapped into before. We've seen it in uh, you know pet cemetery as well. Yep. Um, to name just one of them. Um, mm. So it's obviously something that he, I mean, I, I make, sometimes people say King is guilty of repeating himself in books. Oh yeah. Um, so, um, oops, sorry. But then is he repeating himself or is it this whole kind of universe that he kind of has created before universes were cool? Um, parody or plagiarism. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, cool. So, yeah, look, essentially, I'm, I'm, you know, as I said, we're, we're training through this a bit, but we're yeah, told yeah. this dark past and that the hotel has, and, but despite that, uh, Jack is still willing to kind of take on the role as the keeper, uh, the caretaker. Um, and then we have Danny gets a uh, premonition about the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, uh, and then we get the whole kind of bit about his imaginary friend, Tony coming mm-hmm. into play and they go to the doctor to kind of a chat and he has he examines him and all that stuff that kind of comes to mm-hmm. play so kind of getting there insinuating that there's something different about danny something almost not quite right about him in this sense mm-hmm. uh, 
whereas in the book we very much know that he this tony character has appeared to him on numerous occasions um often in a playful manner but um but also there's something a little bit dark and sinister about him too yeah um and as they interestingly as they get closer to but then he uses tony like he uses tony in order to channel um his visions essentially he can't mm. really go on these visions like take these visions without tony being present but as he as they arrive to the overlook hotel and as the events unfold tony's presence becomes less and less because he's getting kind of um consumed by the hotel itself mm. uh and so danny kind of has to rely on his own energy if that makes sense to to follow yeah. through a bit so yeah it's very kind of yeah well, very good maybe right? there was a it's supposed to be a bit because in the miniseries there was uh, I think the first thing he sees is a hose that comes yes, to life. Hose is in, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and so once they gets to the hotel, what Tony doesn't talk to him anymore. I think there are points where they and they try and get him to kind of say bring Tony forward, and he said I can't, I can't. He's not talking to me anymore. The void, oh. you know. So like he got yeah, like the ghosts got him or the whatever it is yeah or or like it's because the because the hotel is an entity in itself it mm. almost like it knows that danny needs tony to channel that energy and it's like it's tries to smother tony in order for that yeah danny to not be able to do that if that makes sense mm. yeah um yeah yeah so uh then we so the, the next bit is um yeah, the, the next kind of section is where the family moves into the hotel. Yeah. And it's closing day, and this is where we get to meet Dick. Uh, mm. And this is where uh, we find out that Dick is also telepathic and has the ability mm-hmm. to shine when he talks about the ice cream. So mm-hmm. he's showing um, Wendy around, isn't he? And then he's kind of like talking about, I bet you like ice cream, don't you, Danny? Yeah. What's your favorite? Don't you know his name, Doc? Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, just suppose you're, you're a doctor, don't you? You have your MD? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> Hello, I'm Shelley Duvall. So, um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, even within that, I was going to say, I guess I'm jumping a little bit forward. Um, that's fine, mate. Is, there is a scene where, um, uh, well, no, I won't jump too far ahead, um, but we, we get into the, the throes of whatever is happening in the hotel, and... Um, there's a conspiracy about a uh, certain jumper that Danny's wearing when he's playing in the hallway. Yeah. Apollo 11. That's right. And apparently it's supposed to be a pretty popular conspiracy theory. Yeah, this, is the, this is the one I knew about. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so, you know, like the, apparently um, Stanley Kubrick, like the Apollo 11 and moon landing didn't actually happen. And it was actually yeah. Kubrick was employed by NASA to shoot the whole thing and kind of make mm-hmm. it up that it was real. And supposedly, um, in the making of The Shining, this was Stanley Kubrick's way of telling the world that he was responsible for that, and mm. that. Um, but his hands are tied, so he kind of was trying to. It was his only way of kind of being able to kind of tell everyone that he was behind it. Yeah, mm. yeah. With exactly. clues like a big fuck off jumper that says Apollo Eleven on it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> 
but again, if you, if you watch two, three, seven, it'll go into like, I think more about like, you know, what the tiles represent and also about, uh, what was it? Uh, the room was supposed to be two, one, seven, but I had, I changed it to two, three, seven. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the distance from the moon to earth is yeah, uh, 237,000 miles. Yeah. Miles, right. Yep. Yeah. Um, exactly. But it's actually more like 238, 855 yeah. miles. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but there was actually another theory as well about the room numbers, um, thinking that uh, they said that they had a room. Uh, what was it in the book? It was a different number in the book, was it? Yeah, I'm sure it was 217. Yeah, because they said um, uh, it was 217, that was the room. And they said, no, we have a 217, make it a room we haven't got. And so they made it 237. Yeah, that's yeah. bullshit, apparently. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um that, that was my understanding of it as well. Mm. Um, bullshit. Just bullshit. I call bullshit. 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 Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Shelly Duvall. Um, so, <laughs> the, um, I don't know if that's going to get annoying, probably. Um, <laughs> no, never. Never, never, I say never. never. Uh, yeah, okay, so, um, but we do get um, in this instance where Dick and Danny are talking, he does tell Danny to stay away from room 237. Mm-hmm. There's no good that could be found there. No good at all. Stay out. You understand? Stay out. Or go in. It's up to you. Or, or don't. If the door's open, you can go it's in. Slightly jar. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so then we, uh, we then, you know, we have that old kind of, oh, and he does kind of say, if, he does realise also that Danny's power of the shining is strong. Mm. Um, the force is strong with this one. Um, and I say to him, if you're ever in trouble, just call out, call out to me. He gives him his telepathic business card. Yeah. Just say the word ID. dick and I'll come a running. <laughs> just call for dick. <laughs> oh no, don't say he'll be coming. Oh no. 50, 50, 50. Yeah. Euphemisms. Do you like dick? Or maybe you're just curious. Um, so yeah, so so we had that kind of kind of moment there, and mm. then like the months start passing, and this is like this is them kind of uh, what would you how would you describe this? Is them kind of settling into the hotel after everyone's gone. Yeah. It's that Everyone. kind of, it's the honeymoon period is before anything kind of strange yeah. happened. And I'd we say get more. It looks like they're getting into their their comfort zones or the throes of yeah. their rhythm. That's it. Yeah. Because nothing ever feels calm. <laughs> no, 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 that's right. If anything, at the beginning, when people are in the hotel, that's sort of when it feels most calm. Yes. <laughs> this is true. Um, we, do get, uh, we do get to see, so Jack's trying to do his writing, finding he's getting a bit kind of exasperated because it doesn't really feel like it's going anywhere. Um, and we do get Danny and Wendy go out and explore the, the hedge maze, uh, mm. which uh, the, the hotel is famous for. The hedge maze doesn't appear in the book. Um, mm. It's purely a, a fabrication of Kubrick's. However, um, however, in the book, in the book, there are is like creatures. Yeah, there's mystical topiary. Yeah, <laughs> there is. Which is that scary? I always imagine topiary would be pretty anchored. Yeah, you can just avoid the trees to avoid the foliage. But um, but yeah, nice bush. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then it comes a running. Um, 
but yeah, the hedge maze. Um, so I'm assuming you're referring to the shot where um, Jack's looking down on the hedge maze that's inside the, the Overlook Hotel, and then it cuts to a um, a beautiful yeah. matte painting. And um, I, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's a matte shot. Yeah, I'm probably getting it wrong. I'd say it's a um, color difference traveling matte extraction process, personally. But yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's their <laughs> live action superimposed on top of a um, a miniature uh, that was a miniature maze thing. Yeah. Yes, because there was no actual one made. Um, no. They shot this uh, on the soundstage, which was at Pines Wood Studios. Yes. Um, in England, uh, at the back of the studios, they they made the back of the Overlook Hotel. Um, obviously, if you look at the beginning of the film, which is the shot of the Overlook Hotel, there is no garden on the side, and there's nowhere area that no. would really be hidden behind the building. Even though that's where you assume it would be. Plus, also, there's no room big enough to house the um, gold ballroom, um, and that was apparently one of the stipulations. When, according to this documentary about the gold standard. Um, uh, that Kubrick had said uh, he wanted it to be a building uh, large enough that you, it d- doesn't look like it could exist on the site. And that's where I c- could possibly be, um, where I brought up before about the architecture, could be some sort of other um, uh, something that could be said about Kubrick trying to design some sort of, uh, what's the word, Winchester House type. Yeah, you know? yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of dig that as far as the ballroom's concerned. I kind of, I mean, even though that's mm. in the book, it's, there is a ballroom. But I like, uh, in the world of Kubrick's vision, I like the idea of it almost being like a Narnia-esque kind yeah. of uh, portal that uh, is there purely to lure Jack to a place that would sell liquor mm. um, and turn him. Because that's essentially how the hotel gets a, a hook on, particularly in the book but also in the, in the film is a way that the hotel is able to get a hook into uh, Jack's character and, and his weakness being alcohol um, yeah. is to ply him with alcohol. Um, yes. And, and, and have its little way with him. Yes. <laughs> mm. Yes. No. Uh, yeah. And remind me when we, when we get into the first thing where he's walking down that hallway, because there's, there's a lot in, in there to unpack also about the gold room as well. Yeah. Um, but, I was going to say as well about the model that's in the Overlook. Um, Adam Savage from Mythbusters yes. uh, did a video on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's part of a group called Tested on YouTube. Yeah. And he, he'll make things or he'll do a lot of Comic-Con type uh, outfits and show you how to make things. But he reconstructed the um, that maze from the Overlook Hotel because he said that he went looking for the prop and they couldn't find it. Yeah. He replicated it and he noticed that the one on the table that Jack uh, Nicholson is looking at inside is yeah. different to the layout that is presented on that shot, which, uh-huh. as I said, was the color difference traveling that extraction process, um, which again is just a fancy word for green screen, but yes. or any screen color difference. So it could be green, <laughs> it could be blue, it could be whatever. Uh, it could be sodium uh, vapor illumination, which is yellow screen, which was only ever done by Disney. Anyway, Ooh. watch my um, green screen videos about that. Yeah. Um, uh, Adam Savage ended up building that. Um, so if you go over to Tested, you can see how he both built that. And I think it's traveling now in the Kubrick um, exhibition. Oh, which nice. travels. They, nice. Yeah, they've hired that from that because it's, it's accurately done. Uh, but again, that um, set, anytime you see them walking through those, um, uh, the maze itself, interior, um, it was inside a sound studio lit okay. and, and done that way. And apparently you see, again, in the making of The Shining, a quick little drawn map 
done yeah. with it. And apparently people kept on getting lost in there. But um, yeah, it's, it's architecture mm. and design was obviously um, an important point when Kubrick was coming to these things. And so he was over-prepared that everyone had these sets built. And yeah, he knew how he wanted his H.H. H. Holmes type hotel to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's right. That's which right. again just makes me love it even more. But yeah, okay, sorry. I, 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 no, no, I agree with that too. I, I, I completely agree with that. I think that is exactly what it does do. You know, it, you it had, and part of the way, like one of, part of the way I love uh, the way some of the stuff is shot is is the way that sometimes it's symmetrical, but when it's when things start going a bit disarray, he just shifts it slightly off off mm. kilter so that yeah. it's no longer symmetrical. So from a viewer's point of view, we are also put off kilter when we mm. watch it, and it has this kind of disturbing effect on you as you watch it. And it's a very simple technique, but it's done in a way that I feel really, really works for this film. Um, yeah, um, exactly. There's so much you can do mm. with movement of the camera or stillness of the camera or just the size and scope of what it can take in. You see a yeah. lot of foreign films, like German films, which know how to use landscape. Uh, photography in in film but yeah. also um, in evil dead the remake um how you can use it to nauseating effect yeah. that was constantly the camera constantly was moving and then you couple that with the subject matter yeah it gave this nauseating effect at least to me and most of the people i was watching it with i was like does this do this to you too <laughs> um, but it's uh, again i think it's it's overrated especially when you've got these these quick cut films that are made nowadays like mm. uh, i haven't seen the joker yet and i hope it's not one of those sort of films yeah. but like I'm, the avengers or um those sort of films things that are haven't got the time to digest like yeah. it got annoying when watching the fight scenes in um because I've, I've trained with um stage combat as well and yeah. doing a lot of sword work yeah uh, and so seeing some of the fight scenes in things like uh parts of the caribbean especially the more recent ones yes. um, were so annoying because you can say so much more in a fight in a longer shot because of what the character's doing and they knew this in the first film like yeah. when you see those they're beautiful yeah. um so yeah it's um <laughs> again it's it, the camera work I, I think yeah more films need to be taken with this sort of approach of care yeah of, yeah of trying yeah. it and we've got digital now it's not like we're on film we can take it a couple of times yeah yeah that's right that's right and experiment give re- go, go back to experimenting again yeah exactly and allow that creativity to flourish out of that for sure yeah unfortunately there's a lot of creativity and then they get bought by a studio and then yeah. they make a sequel to something and then they're locked in that okay now you've got a carbon cut home and away 10 times again yeah but um, hopefully, like, you know, we'll get a Kubrick or like Tarantino is probably the only one at the moment who's really doing his own stuff and, yeah. and sticking by it. Um, and that's and it's what makes his I haven't seen um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But no, really, I haven't either. I haven't either. I really want to. Yeah. I really want to. And, and again, it's because it's not because of the gore. It's not because it's the same as this. People see the blood and everything. Else. If you're using gore as an excuse for horror or tension, yeah. you don't know how to use. Oh, uh, what? Maker, I don't know what it would be. Props, actors, <laughs> yeah, subject yeah. matter, story. You, you don't know how to you do that because again, in the in the perfect moments, it'll say so much more. Quentin Tarantino in the Kill Bill, in she gets buried alive, and that sequence, all in pitch black, was yeah, far yeah. more terrifying than any gore thing in any of those films with the the katanas cutting off and anything like that. Yeah. That, 
sort of stuff. And again, it's, as you say, it's the right to experiment and try to emulate things that have encouraged them to go into the arts art form that they're currently got the money to do. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Man. Yay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's why we always call on Shelley Duvall. Yeah, we love Shelley Duvall. Hello, I'm Shelley Duvall. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so Shelley Duvall is speaking of uh, in uh, the maze, um, as we said, with Danny. Yes. And, um, and Wendy learns that um, all the phone lines are out because of the heavy snowfall. So this is where she uses the radio the police you know the radio mm. kind of thing they've got so we kind of know there is is means of communication with the police force at least or mm. um, or whoever they yeah um and danny's visions start getting a bit more kind of harrowing um and jack starts getting really odd with his behavior yeah. violent outbursts start to occur is this the point, yeah, where I'd be assuming he's throwing the um, ball up against the ground? Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. he's getting bored. This whole cabin fever thing is very much what, what Kubrick's going with here. And, mm. um, and he just starts slowly descending into hell and madness yeah. uh, with, his, with his own thoughts. Mm. Um, and this also is the point where Danny discovers room 237. Yeah. Uh, when he sees the doors open and he seems to remember... Dick Haller and saying, what did he say? Go go into it when it's open? Go, oh, yeah, go in when it's open. Have if a, someone offers you candy, get in their car. Have a look. Have a look. Have a look. Have a peek. Yep. We'll be right. Don't listen um, to Dick. Don't do what Dick said. Don't do what Dick, <laughs> do what Dick does. Um, <laughs> later, yeah, so that's when he goes in and that's when... Um, we don't... Do we actually... Does he see the... No. Vision? We don't cuts. Do he, he goes into the room uh, from memory. I'm pretty sure yeah. he's on his tricycle and he's riding yeah. around and he sees it open. Yes. In which case, we see a reflection of the opposite side of the wall. Yeah, I think he just goes up to the door and it looks like he's going to go in. Yeah, and then we cut downstairs, and that's when he, um, Jack is having a um, what's it? He, he wakes up from a dream. Yes, and she, uh, Shelley Duvall runs in, and sorry, Wendy runs in and so, uh, wakes him up from it, and he says, I dreamed I killed you and Danny. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's when Danny walks out from sort of underneath the stairs area. Yeah. Which, again, is that where 237 would be? No, he, that's upstairs, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, 237 yeah. is yeah. Ooh, architecture. Um, mm. But that's when she sees him, all disheveled-like, and yes. goes, what the hell happened? What have you done to my son, you bastard? She thinks he's done it again. She thinks no. he's, he's done a throttling. And again, if you look at his performance too, um, Jack Nicholson's performance, and he's just, oh, what the fuck? He's just, yeah. I don't know, stoned off his gillet. Yeah, he really is. It's like so, like, huh? Yeah. And it's great too, because you've gone from these moments, because before that, I think the only other interaction we saw just before this was uh, Shelley Duvall getting yelled at because... She interrupted him. Interrupted him. Yeah, that's the first real outburst we see. Yeah. yeah. When, and if you see me typing, don't interrupt me. Yeah. Um, in very harsh words. Um, but again, great. Was, yeah. Especially that, the actors was everyone was staying at this hotel. Like you know, as in again, not for the whole shoot because it was shot at Pinewood as well, but for certain yeah. scenes. Yeah. So you would get this sense of cabin fever, and especially from Shelley Duvall's perspective, she would have been all alone. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, it just adds to that. I mean, you hear that in some films where they 
really want to ah we got mm. and one of the earlier films that we discussed podcast we, we discussed was where's craven's um, La, um last house on the left um Ooh. first movie he made and in that um the there's a scene in that where um the uh the three kind of antagonists are um, are being uh, well. It's, it's kind of like not. There's a bit of rape scene in there, and and um, and they're being kind of physical with her as well. Um, and um, and it's and it's quite a harrowing kind of scene to watch. Um, and the um, excuse me. Um, and uh, the the girl the the girl that plays the character in it her name was Sandra Peabody, and she kind of disappeared off the scene shortly after that because she felt like it was a bit too real mm. um, and felt personally violated and harassed within it. So oh, there's a bit of contention around that. So sometimes, like when you watch it, it feels it's a it's a powerful moment. But when you learn about that afterwards, it kind of puts a whole different spin on it. And you're like, oh, yeah. So there's a fine line between art and reality, I guess. And exactly. when they blur a bit, it kind of yeah, it gets a bit disturbing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially with the certain reason things we've heard in the industry. Yeah. Late. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's I mean, exactly. yeah, it's like I know that when I got into the industry, some of the sort of stories I'd hear from people and yeah it's the sort of thing if you go no it couldn't be like you know as in but again people are awful yeah so <laughs> yeah it's are. yeah yeah and and so yeah it wouldn't be surprised um it wouldn't surprise me to hear that something shocking like that because i'm even having thoughts of um the sequences in oh uh, not uh, clockwork orange um oh, yeah like you yeah. know and, and similar situations like that just go yeah well how much was like you know as in uh i don't know range consented you yeah. know yeah um, yeah. But again, we're, we're talking about The Shining, so poor Shelley Duvall. Um, which, again, like you watch the, the documentary and you'll see the um, the moment where she's like, "I tore hair out of on the like window," which she's trying to get out, and it's like, "Yeah, that's not cool." No, that's we're just trying to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. would say no. That's something yeah. we have to not happen. Yeah, but, yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, so we have um, so we have that whole kind of so now, things are kind of getting fractured and kind of unraveling essentially. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, and you're right, and this is where the actual relationships fracture, and she becomes protective of Danny because she thinks, as you said, that Jack's actually mm. abused him again, um, mm. and this is where That's... they this is there when Jack does wander into the hotel's gold yeah. room. And he meets yeah. so, a bartender named Lloyd. Mm, so just before that, I was even going to say, I think yeah. at this point, Jack's got on that table where he's writing a large notebook, uh, like mm-hmm. not notebook that says small, like a big photo album type thing. Like, you know, yes. it's something that you would keep scrapbook. It's a sp- scrapbook. That's it's what a it is. scrapbook. Get down scrapbook. He's got his PVA glue and his scissors. He's having a gay old time. Um, no, but this apparently I assume is from the book um yes. he got this scrapbook from the basement and it's mm. uh got to do with the history of the overlook hotel and in stanley kubrick's version of this 
uh, again, um, this is from the gold standard uh, video on YouTube um, yeah. that was talking about this. Uh, he said that when he went to the archives for the Stanley Kubrick, he saw um, some of the photos, which it was open uh, on display. And it was all about the gold standard and that transitional period, which that was happening. So in yeah. that book, that was what that was about. But in the miniseries, it's got stuff all about the Overlook Hotel and the history, I think, of... I want to say atrocities, but I don't think that would be in there. I want to say more grand parties. I can't really remember. Yeah, yeah. But again, in the book, I assume that would have expounded a little bit more on the history of, um, uh, like in it, like you know, as in it's yeah. a, it's an overall history. But throughout it, you would go, you would see links of going, oh, this is a bit bizarre. Why, like you know, another murder, another something, another whatever. Yeah, uh, atrocity. Um, but yeah, that, that's one of the notebooks that's there. Cool. Um, then when he's doing that walk into down the hallway before he walks into the gold room, yes. um, uh, in, I'm not sure if it was two, three, seven or another documentary has hinted to the idea of when he's walking down that hallway, every time he walks in front of a mirror, that's when he shows his agitation, his, his rage ah. and throws his arm about. Then he goes back into walk, walk, walk. And then again, in front of a mirror, he'll do that again. Wow. And then he'll, get to the end and then turn into um, the gold room, which again in, I think this is the gold standard uh, uh, video as well, hints at the idea that there's two gold rooms. One that, as you said, is a portal and exists in uh, supernatural or psyche. Whatever. Psyche land. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's that large gold room, which yes. we're now going into. And the other one is seen multiple times and it's a history room. And it's the one that the photo is in and the last um, shot when we zoom into that and yeah. that's when we're talking about when they were settling in um, yes. we see Shelley Duvall hi I'm Shelley Duvall walking hey, out with her um, food uh, out of that room yes. so obviously the kitchen is attached to somewhere around that room yes um, that's but, right. yeah and we see Dick Halloran walk in um, around there but that's like possibly the actual gold room the history room whereas the other one is the psyche one uh, which has right. got the ghosts in it and has that manipulative thing now the only where thing i thought that falls down is in the movie when they're walking around the hotel yeah they walk into the gold room and say this is our gold ballroom yes that's where it might fall down but again it's an interesting thing and again coupled with that idea of him walking into that and showing the agitation in front of a, a, a portal or a window or a mirror a doorway whatever you yeah. know then walking into that actual thing where again you said he sees lloyd at the bar who is no one's there it's just that family and he ends up pouring him a drink and there's no alcohol in the place because that's what the manager has said before when they were in there. There's not a drop here, so you'll be fine. Um, and again, he says, he goes to pay for it with money, which again, he says, no, your money isn't worth anything here. And the reason why is because it was at that point that, that Lloyd was in the pre-Federal um, uh, Bank Reserve era. So it wouldn't, your money was like giving him Malaysian money. I can't, that's yeah. not legal tender, you know, and, until the point which if you have older currency. So that's why he says, how's my tab? And he says, it's fine. So it's like, great, because he's got a tab because it's that, that he can. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, mate. But, no, I'm, 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 trying to, I'm trying to follow what you're saying. But, yes, I think I understand. Um, so, yeah, um, because of that shift in the gold standard, that's why his, um, the 1980s currency wasn't valid because um, up until 1921 or uh, some wherever the gold sh uh, standard shift uh, was, um, that was when you needed to have the one that was able to be uh, traded for gold. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. yeah, it wouldn't be worth anything because again, it's just numbers. And if we're working under the the premise of what the 
the gold standard story, if that theory is, is correct, it would be that there would be this animosity towards the Federal Reserve because yeah. that they're taking away your right to have your gold and trade, you know, and, and do that. The, the old the old style, the, the good old days, that's what I'm looking for, the, the quote-unquote old, old days. days. Exactly um, how they refer to, you know, that. It's the same as how you would hear, like, the way I interpreted it, what I thought was how plantation owners would have said, no, the, the good old days when we had slaves, you know what I mean? When we had something that benefited us. Yeah. You know, and, and again, that's why he said white man's burden because he's white man and he's on uh, indigenous burial yes, ground. Yes, that's yes. Got a hotel, you know what I mean? So it's, it's layers upon layers. Um, whether that comes from... Um, uh, Stephen King or uh, Kubrick or somewhere in between or both or just the fact that he uh, that Kubrick has chosen to include that in this film yeah, <laughs> like you know yeah. it means something and another element and that's the brilliant thing about too this film isn't just the cinematography that is so intriguing the story and what's said throughout it makes you go oh we can look at this on so many different levels like yeah. even just the intergenerational thing of the murders and you go well it's not just like Delbert Grady, who was referenced in the first scene. It's Delbert, uh, Delbert Grady's son was the one referenced in the first scene. Yes, Delbert yes. Grady was the father. So it happened twice. In yeah, that yeah. 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 So there, yeah, that's thought. the thing. There is a lot of, um, there's a thing, there's a lot of repetition and history repeating and, and the idea of uh, cyclic, uh, things moving in cycles yeah. all the Cyclically, time. Yeah. Thing. Sounds like George Lucas. And it's that, like, yeah. Uh, poetry, they, they rhyme. Um, <laughs> um, and the synergy, the synergy that comes with that. And so I think yes. for me, like what I'm just realizing now when you were talking about the mirrors is that's the way of, of the world that we live in is reflected in upon itself. Mm. So we, we get this constant uh, uh, duality effect that's going on. Exactly. Uh, within well, it. Even, so, yeah, even before, I was going to say with, with the mirror, there's a shot um, which uh, Jack Torrance is waking up, Wendy wakes him up in the early yeah. days. Of the oh, yeah, yeah, yes, I know the baby, yeah. Exactly, yeah, and it's, it's shot in the reflection, so it's um, like yeah, the camera is aimed at the mirror and the, uh, and the angle at which the mirror is at is showing Jack Nicholson. Yes. Um, but it's, it's all a reversed image, so there's a lot of questions within that and the theories going around saying that his um, – reversed angle because again he's happy in that scene so it's not him it's yeah him it's the through the looking glass him you know what yeah. i mean yeah or it's yeah. the real version you know not everything that is seen through there but also too in that first scene with danny once he's talking to to um tony for the first time yeah he's talking to himself in a mirror so there's that yeah yeah that, that, that's exactly right he notices very much of that he notices the um old woman the, the as in he notices that Something. the woman has changed to the yeah the, Protest rotting woman through a mirror. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, the revelations of that and stuff. And also, yeah. like, I don't know what I, I, we may. I may have accidentally glossed over it, but the point where um, uh, the um, the twins, the twin girls arrive. That's kind of got that kind of you know yeah. mirror image of each other symmetry. as well, and symmetry mm. and stuff. And the shot, the famous shot of the blood coming down. I was about to say. Mm. Yeah. All exactly. comes together nicely, really. Yes, yes. Um, and, and again, from the cinematography and those opening shots, even from like you know the um, the maze and stuff, shooting those in a, yeah. such a symmetrically pleasing way, yeah, it invites any absence of that to be like a kilter. It'll yeah. push you ajar. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely, and that's and that does it jars. Whenever that whenever it happens, it jars, and it's that's what I meant earlier about 
how it puts the audience off. And and I love stuff like that. I love the way I, I sound like a um, masochist, but I love the way that um, that uh, directors can manipulate the audience in a certain way to make them feel just purely by the way they place a camera or the way sound is used, for example. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's it's so good. Um, so yeah, so we get uh, we get Jack going into the gold room and he meets the bartender Lloyd and the hair of the Duncan bit me Lloyd. Um, <laughs> and uh, at the same time, um, uh, Wendy. Uh, so a bit later on, sorry. So hold on. Uh, oh no. So he's complaining about the marriage and stuff, isn't he? He's kind of yeah. He's, he's and, and he expounds on his point of view of what he did with Danny. Yes, that's right. Um, which again, he seems genuinely regretful. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd say maybe wholly regretful, but he's definitely angry that he did it. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. That but also blaming that, anyone he can. Yes, exactly. Anyone but himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which at the point he is yeah. also, yeah, either psychologically or supernaturally drunk alcohol. So at this point, he believes himself, at, even by placebo, to be inebriated. Or becoming. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, something else. Is stri- I mean, I'm still going back on the mirror thing, but it's interesting again with the personality uh, trait that you just pointed out about mm. how Jack is uh, never takes ownership of his actions and he's always deflecting them, and yet yeah. he he's admitting this scene to a fictional or ghost-like mm. character in front of a mirror, which is reflecting that back on himself. Yes. Yes. Um, so and, and he to the can't point, hide from his thoughts. He's always going to be trapped within them. Yeah, exactly. And then at the point which we, I think, next see um, Wendy, is she runs in and literally sort of turns him around, pulls him around from that, like out of the mirror. State. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like that hypnotic circle going around. Exactly. It's yeah. him seeing himself how he wants to be uh, somewhere where, like. I think it was also prohibition times. I'm not too sure. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, because there is that whole thing about that. Yes, yes, and that's yeah. in, that's in the book too, um, and that's a whole section. Yeah, because uh, they've got alcohol there. Yeah, that's, that's right. Cool. Yeah. So it's it's obviously again a, this privileged high society. Yeah. Um, which again, even with William Randolph Hearst, they were getting alcohol and stuff like that. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. To. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. But yeah, so so again, it's this sort of. Um, entitlement. This is where he wants to be at the stage he wants to be. I yeah. could live here forever. I could live here forever. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, so you're absolutely right. That that mirror thing is definitely playing off on a major point. And it's also so subtly done, I feel like, in the film. It doesn't smash you in the face. No. Even to the point of the maze, and it's probably me stretching it here, but after watching um, it recently with the mirror maze, that's yeah. usually what we think of as a mind-bending experience, going yes. through a mirror maze. Yes. Edge mazes, yes, because you get lost, but a, mir- a, a, a mirror maze is, is scary. Yeah, you yeah. Run into walls and stuff like that. So even playing with that, with the idea of having the hedge maze is an interesting thing. Because yeah. on maze theory, there's, um, the, again, H.H. H. Holmes, the way he designed his... Um, part of his rooms yeah. were to orientate you. So you would round a corner and you're expecting it to go into either a hallway or into a whatever. And it, and it just, again, sends you a jar. Everything's so lined up until you get to a jar. And that gives you a pause in your mental um, process that you can get jumped. And so mm. obviously he would use that opportunity. At least this is um, what he has said in yeah. his testament, which again, you know, 
you don't know if he was just doing it for the scratch. Um, <laughs> but, but again, it's, it's true even with hip, um, hypnosis. When you were talking about before the idea of using sound and, and visuals, yeah. uh, hypnosis, a lot of the time you can just do that. You'll create a tone and a rhythm. But yeah. then when you break that, you want to seek home. You want to seek friendly. There's different inductions that are um, like primarily based on you uh, discomforting your victim I shouldn't say victim but you know you you do something like by hitting them in the stomach and then coming up to meet their eye but then covering their face giving them a command to sleep and pulling you into a hug something like that for some people will be the easiest fight or flight moment to just give in and so that's why it's easiest then to go okay now you're here you're safe and you stay keep them in that sort of right film theater um magic Anything I feel that's trying to invoke an emotion and does so in a similar sort of fight or flight, you know, you'll feel that serotonin rush, that, that yeah. mind is is because again, it's that perfect combination of how to get you into that vibe. And so, if you've got the willing participant, someone who puts their hand up to be part of hypnosis, yes. or someone who goes and pays a ticket to a theater show or a movie show, you hope, and most of the time you've got that little bit of investment that yeah you see a film like this and you're on the high ride because Mm. any most Kubrick films if you want to have fun with it and you let yourself into it it is a ride that would stick with you the images the sounds that like even again Clockwork Orange I saw that before I think I saw The Shining yeah Um, that is yeah resonant in my head even the for the death sequence when he kills the woman accidentally yeah that is so prominent and not because of the subject matter of he kills her with a penis not for the subject matter he's breaking and entering and about to rape her yeah. like the fact that he didn't mean to kill her yeah. then he goes outside and his droogies turn on him like it's such impacting story thematic yeah. use and sound use that's hitting all those senses that is just so brilliant but again if you go into a film hating it, if you go into The Shining going, oh, I've heard about this and oh, that's stupid, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah you'll, you'll hate it because you've got that energy there, <laughs> I think. Sorry, but uh, to go off on a magic tangent. There. No, no, that's, that's cool. With it. Like, that I think is prevalent to the idea of The Shining, which yeah, again yeah. is that, that it's psychic or it's supernatural or it's that sixth sense which we can't all put our finger on yeah. definitively, but we all feel that we collectively share. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so I guess that, uh, how do I weave that back into the storyline? So like the concept here is like, um, or the next kind of sequence is coming back to Danny, essentially. And when the reason Wendy spins uh, Jack around is because she's becoming concerned about him and the impact that the hotel is having on him. And she's specifically, yeah. yeah. Specifically, yeah, she says that Danny said it was a woman. There's a yeah. woman in this room. That's right. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's more to the idea of someone else is in the hotel and, and hurt our son. Yeah. And she's flipped like that. Like, and also does say about her, the character of Wendy going through this, like, you know, as in even explaining away the, the dislocated arm or the broken arm or whatever it is, to then now she's now, it couldn't have been Jack. Yeah. It's thing. Having said that, I do think if you're that isolated, if your the victim has just told you it was somebody else, you would probably yeah go. I need to get a guy who used to swing an axe or whatever. <laughs> but, but comes back and he turns around and says, "Are you fucking insane?" or something like that. <laughs> Great. I know. It's, I love it. Yeah. It's yeah. He's totally in this house now. He's sharing this psyche of just going, "Oh my god, this bitch." But um. <laughs> 
but she sells the like desperation in it. I mean, far yeah. out. Yeah, um, mm, she does. Yeah. So from this point, is, is that right? And thinking that that's when Jack then goes into the yeah, he goes out. off and has a has a goosey gander. Uh, yeah, he goes to Steve Brule and checks it out. Check it out now, the funk soul brother. And that so too. he, he uh, <laughs> and uh, and then he sees sees more than he hoped to see. Yeah. Well, we go into the room with a POV. Yeah. Which is interestingly enough what we saw before in Danny's vision, like yes. the first thing. Um, we go in, we scan the room, and then we get into the bathroom, and it's still POV until I think um, oh, Jack Nicholson walks into shot. Yeah. And then um, we see the uh, young, seductive, beautiful, completely naked, um, unshaven girl yeah. um, stepping out of the bathtub <laughs> um, in all her glory, looking yeah. sexy as. That's when, oh, but maybe that's at the point where Jack Nicholson walks up. So maybe it's all point of view until then, then he walks through again, still oh. one shot from memory. I'm yeah. I think you're watching. right. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Then goes um, up and uh, embraces her and starts to kiss her. Mm. That's when we see, uh, I think the shot in the mirror or yes. it cuts into a close up or a mid shot. And then it goes into um, him looking into the mirror and we see um, a brilliant effect, which was apparently done with um, uh, torn up uh, plastic, uh, bags like shopping bags okay yeah as in uh, amongst other things but like you know that skin coming off yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Done with something like that um but yeah it's um what would say i i maybe a stretch to say this poor woman is not grotesque but, no. but you know um definitely not the woman he thought she he was no. um, yes. tackling and laughing and again all her naked uh unshaven spotty decaying glory yep um in which case he backs up still in shock yeah. um out of the room and yeah and traumatizes the audiences for life yeah it's it is a really tra- it is a really uh, traumatic scene and really kind of or at least for any of... teenager with a dick in their hand <laughs> <laughs> wait what what no wait, wait, oh, well. with the whole... might as well anyway <laughs> <laughs> i went ages ago <laughs> premature ejaculation i've shared too much um <laughs> the second you heard hi i'm shelly duvall <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, oh. <laughs> hello i'm shelly duvall there it is um so yeah it is i just came again the <laughs> crazy woman so, uh, so yeah yeah so we have that whole kind of disturbing scene there's a naked woman in the hey who put the naked woman in the bath? Um, the naked woman in the bath was that you, Danny? Yeah, it was me, Danny. Who'd you get up? Who did you kill? Who did you kill? <laughs> Who did you kill, Danny? Who did you kill? Why is there a woman in the bath? I mean, like you know, it's they put it all from the starting. You're a woman. She's in the bath. Yeah. Um, Danny's got a serious up. problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we love Danny, and. So he was his first victim. All of that was meant to fill my madness and me trying to get back on track of where we were. <laughs> and all we did was induce madness. Yeah, induce madness. Um, but isn't this the bit where... Um, so that kind of section happens, but then Danny... Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, uh, they're talking... Yeah, but they're talking about trying to get her, him da- him out, Danny out, and Jack's kind of saying, why do you want to do that and all that stuff? Um and he goes and sees Grady again in the bar, doesn't he? Is this? I think we have that yeah, bit, and, and Greg Jack's basically saying, uh, he's kind of saying, you've got to correct your wife. 
That's right. Yeah. This is when he goes into the party. Now, the party, is, yeah. Yeah, and this is before um, she finds um, Jack. Uh, what was it? all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy? Is that correct? Yes, yes. Just before that, yeah. Cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which, which again was like hand done, apparently. Like someone typed it out. Oh my it? god! <laughs> would have been insane. Um, but yeah, yeah. So then we go into the, the party, which is um, like 1921. Ritzy yeah. Ditz, everyone, yeah. flapper girls are crazy everywhere. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It was like, um, I think even, oh no, it was ragtime. That would have been still around. Actually, that would have been the old. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. Again, in, in the miniseries, sorry, in this sequence, yeah. um, Stephen King <laughs> is the conductor. <laughs> And it's just so out of place. Yeah. He's there and he's just like swinging his baton going, uh, in just like a little cut away. Um, but He was yeah. also swinging that thing that conductors use as well. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Even put your baton away. Exactly, um, yeah. It's also thin and whiny. But yeah, again, he, like he shoots doesn't he that. Play, um, doesn't he play the character's name's Gage Creed in that? Oh, does he? Isn't isn't maybe because it was in two episodes? Maybe he was like, I want to play a different person in each. I thought because I thought he played a character called Gage Creed in it, which obviously is a a nod to Pet Cemetery. Um, Oh, but I could be wrong, I could be wrong, I could be right. Um, yeah, anyway, so I'm kind of kind of getting a bit blurred here, but they're basically like, This is just to put this is like really the hotel trying to put Jack in place and say, You've got to sort this out, things are starting to go not mm. the way I want it to go and kind of luring Jack in to kind of take control. Be a man, be a man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then um, this is also uh, from memory that some, I'm kind of blurring things a bit, but I'm pretty sure this is the bit then where Danny tries to use his telekinesis to reach out to Halloran. Uh, yeah. And, then Halloran starts to kind of fly, you know, get back. He, this is where he starts in pursuit to kind of come back yep. to the hotel. Um, and Danny then does his whole red um, bit um, in front of the mirror. That's and right. calls himself Tony. Hey, Tony! Hey, Tony, did you hey, put Tony, that trash? I'm walking here. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm scrooched down in an elevator shaft, but I'm walking here. Hey, I'm pooing over here. Oh well, at least your hands out of your pants again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so no, you're you're right. Um, and in yeah. fact, both of us were right. So apparently, um, to the yeah. answer, did Stephen King have a cameo in The Shining? Ah. Well, it's probably his most unrecognizable cameo to date. Bullshit. You'll see it when you see it. Yeah. King <laughs> did his pal Mick Garris a friendly favor by showing up as creepily mustachioed band leader named Gage Creed. Oh, I thought so. Name. In 1997's Shining Miniseries. So, yeah, yeah, he was the band leader. And he was G- Gage Creed. Gage Creed. He did have a moustache. And, and a shiny baton. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, cool. And both Sam Raimi and Frank Darabond also cameo in the miniseries. I didn't know that. Neither did I. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was like everyone's trying to stick it to Kubrick. It was, I, I yeah. don't even know if it came out just before he died. Um, but, but yes, uh, I was going to say, even just the idea of, of the dialogue that's said before um, uh, the uh, drink gets spilled on him as he's leading into the, the toilet, um, he says how he's going to change before the duck and liver pate or something like that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Again, like, you're right. You're, I think this is 
that idea of even in the hypnosis, this is the idea of when you go, okay, now I know that you're, we both know that you're safe. This is the command. This is the, you know, what I want you to do. Um, the, the protocol, the coding, if then, then this, um, yeah. so that's where Grady spills the drink on him, takes him into the, the bathroom. But that's what I mean. He's reinforcing the idea. Yeah, of, no, I'm part of this world. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm yeah. Um, and I want to be here. He's got his drink in his hand too. Yeah. Uh, and he goes into a, a bathroom, which doesn't look like it belongs in the time. No, it doesn't. That's right. No, yes. Dark red. Dark red, dark red. What's the dark safe red. word? What's the safe word? Dark red? Why would that be the safe word? <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. I, I, exactly. Um, goes from like a, a, a servant-ish sort of like, yes, sir, no, sir, yeah. to then, uh, yeah, basically saying, pull your wife and your child into line. Yeah, if, do it. Uh, I don't even know if he's threatened. If you don't do it, we will or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Some sort of threat. But um, but again, yeah, it's 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 great. And then from that, we see the red rum writing on the wall. Right. Um, in which case, again, in a mirror, is revealed to be murder. Murder. It's been a murder. Um, it's been a murder. <laughs> this little boy keeps doing that. We're going to It's the little boy. He keeps getting his on out and whacking people with it. He's uh, only got so many fingers. If he keeps killing people and then <laughs> saying that that his fingers, I mean, stop. <laughs> Who calls their finger Tony? Um. Yeah. That, it should happen on your feet. I mean, that's just a pun waiting to be had. Look at my feet and my toe, knee. Yeah. And then in steps Danny Day Lewis and says, "What about my left foot?" Um. <laughs> I'll paint us a picture of that. Um. <laughs> it's all gotten surreal. Surge of horror. Exactly. But yes. So yeah. Um, yeah. Just when your your wife and kid, red rums written on the wall. Dead um, rum written on the wall. Yeah. yeah, at this point, is this when we have the moment where the baseball bat and the stare moment and she just wants to go because she's unsure and he gets hit in the head? Um, I want to say before that, she discovers the uh, the, the notepaper. Oh, you're right. Um, with the yeah, uh, work and no play makes Jack the boy. Um, mm-hmm. So she's then, this is where she's starting to piece the puzzle together. Yeah. Uh, the fractured puzzle that is the Outlook Hotel. And finds out how terrible a writer he is. Yeah, and just goes, what? Yeah, yeah. there's no layers to this story. It's just repetitive. It's just, it keeps repeating. It goes around in circles. Um, it's George Lucas. It's, it's episode one. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, right. all right. Uh, um, but yeah, so she sees that and, and gets flipped out by how many times he keeps writing it and getting spelling errors. Yeah. Uh, and that's when he comes in. Is that right? notices uh yeah yeah that's right and then um she then begs but it's not really alluded to that he knows that that's what he's written though does it it's like he, no. he still sees the the written work that he's working on um yeah i don't know oh, as in well, the we, book, we, don't, we don't know yeah the audience no. yeah well, the audience wouldn't know no uh as in we don't see his perspective from that yeah yeah exactly yeah well, that's um, that's cool but uh, but yeah, so she's basically begging Jack to kind of leave the hotels. Got to go, go, get out of here. Yeah, because again, in the miniseries, I think um, it alludes that he's writing a history of the hotel. He starts to write a history of the hotel. Yeah, and that's that's from the book too. Yeah, so like he get mm. that's that's the hotel's way of luring him more because it mm. takes advantage of the fact that he knows he's um, he's he's illiterate. He is a literate, not illiterate. Um, um, and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and that he uh, is a scholar in that sense and is fascinated with history and it uses its own history to kind mm. of lure him in and go, hey, how about you write about me, big boy? Um, yeah. 
and so yeah so that's right that does play an effect but obviously the this in the in the film version he's he's meant to be writing the screenplay um, mm. and then um so yeah so she's uh, that's she's begging yeah, at the moment kind of leave essentially and this is yeah the uh, the bit where she ends up having to knock him out with a baseball bat mm. and she locks him in the pantry yeah. um and that's when he says go and check the radio and yeah. the bobcat because yeah. he's disabled the radio with sim right. before yeah i'm um, actually there's from that scene where he's taking the the radio parts out there's a, another youtuber who's an australian youtuber who writes music based on films he only uses the audio from the films oh, right. uh, and he's done one from the shining which actually i put over the menu at the end credits for um when we did uh, day of the dead yes um and yeah and that's made from that so all the clicking noises from that is when he's he's throwing the little chip things in his hand oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 like yeah. throws them out goes ch -ch -ch -ch, or something like that um but yeah that's mm -hmm. um the same way, yeah, you see that, and it's um very good. I, I would recommend checking them out too, because yeah, do videos You're all talking, cut up, so you can see it. A lot of cool stuff here, man. Um, cool. but, but again, yeah, so um that's when she's going to check it out, and this is again where it comes to one of the points um of one of the only things in the film that does happen or most likely happens supernaturally. Yes. How does he get out of that freezer? It's locked from the outside. Yeah. It's yeah. It's um, Grady. Hey, Grady's back. Exactly, uh, but but that's where I think um, Grady threatens him or gives him the ultimatum. Yeah, he says, "If right. I do this, you've got to do this." Yeah, you've yeah. got to carry it through. Yeah, mm. it, yeah, and that's right. And this is again, this is you're right. It's the only real moment that's supernatural, other than the telekinesis kind of stuff. Um, um, yeah, yeah, or, or the strangling of the throat. But but mm. arguably, what we have seen from the, our perspective, that's their only evidence. Yes, that's right. The that's right. Of yeah. him getting out. So he somehow Whether gets somehow able to free himself. Yeah, he's either, he frees himself, Wendy frees him, or Danny frees him. Or I don't know if Dick would be there at that point. No, well, we know what happens with Dick, but um, <laughs> or any good boy should. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> Dick alone. But again, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it raises that really interesting question that, again, Kubrick left that in there, and it's a supernatural element because yeah. he's talking to Grady. He lets him out. He does get out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I found that very interesting. Having said that too, there is a cut on his hand in the um, uh, one of the scenes, which I wasn't too sure where it came from, and I'm now just thinking maybe I should rewatch it again to see if that. Yeah, maybe I, I don't know. Too. So like he's he's kind of bust himself up to get out, maybe. Yeah, or yeah, squeeze through something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because um, at that point he would have gotten a head scar from the baseball bat, and yeah. only later on, after he's done the door, he gets the hand cut. Yeah. Um, so, well, that's the point. I'm going to have to rewatch it too. I'm going to have to rewatch it again purely based on the fact that we're talking about this, you know, because there's lots of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there's like, so oh, many things. Yeah. Um, it's so rewatchable. It's, it's, that's yeah. what makes it, again, probably yeah. the cult status is the rewatchability. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, not just that. Again, cinematography, acting, like story, everything, like, you know. Yeah. It's, it's so, so this is a, that, this is where we then, we cut back to Danny and he's still kind of, he's still talking about Red Rum. Um, and um, and that's when we do see the reverse image of it spelling out the word murder. Uh, and then this is where Jack, so they're kind of, they're holed up inside their living quarters, essentially. And this is where Jack starts hacking his way in through the door with his axe. Um, Wendy kind of gets into the bathroom, locks that too, manages to get Danny out of the bathroom window, but she can't get out. 
Um, and although she tries, and this is where we then we get that infamous scene where Jack breaks through the door and pokes his head in and goes, here's Johnny, which is, again, like, it's, it's famous not only because it's creepy as fuck, but it also taps into pop culture um, mm. of the time, um, you know, with... Um, Ooh. Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson, yeah. Um, and Jack and Jack Nicholson ad lived that scene as well. So mm. all these kind yeah. of moments kind of make film history um when they are put together. And so yeah, and it's it's harrowing. This is a point where like, you know, she's she's got a knife there, but she's kind of frozen and scared and fucked up. And yeah. He does actually hack his hand at one point. So she is yeah. trying to defend himself and he pulls back. But just at the point where he's just going to react to that and kind of go really ballistic, this is where all of a sudden Dick turns up on his mm. on his own bobcat. Mm. Um, yeah, I was even going to say with that, um, uh, you could see in like it, it's an improv line, but it's definitely come from somewhere because the little pigs, little pigs. If that mm. was improvised as well, that might have been a directional thing or say something lighthearted or something that like yeah, you know, it's, it's yeah, a bit creepy. Yeah, um, and and again the juxtaposition of that, of going like, you know, there's an ax murderer out there, whether we know them or not, they're not yeah. the person we loved or like, yes. you know, uh, yes. happy with. And now they're like, you know, um, singing a little kid's song. It, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, It's not like they're having fun. It's like, that's, it's so many elements. But even then on the next one of the Here's Johnny, of it being a pop culture reference being yeah. coming out of the blue, yeah. like that. And then followed by that sharp, like you've got, mm. um, that the creepy sort of thing, like the same as yes. the uncanny valley. Yes, it's, yes. It's it's like that sort of thing. If you hear on a TV and you you you've, you're relaxed at that point, so to yeah. have something so relaxed after such a bang, here's my face, um, like whatever. It, yeah, it's 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 because it's again that hypnosis thing of of quick impact followed by a random thing. Darren Brown at one point was uh, giving a lesson to people, which he said that um, he got. Um, held up by someone who wanted to rob him and he turned around and he said my f- my fence isn't four foot high or he said something random that was yeah. still sort of made sense and it threw him enough that he had a fight or flight and he burst into tears yeah. um, the guy who was robbing him um, did and so like you know everything was fine but again it's that idea of going if you can manipulate that sort of yeah. psyche in that moment then yeah exactly so even from that point of view if it's all psyche and no supernatural he's manipulating that situation right there yeah. to terrify. Yeah. So we, we definitely have this psyche, whether it's house, whether it's him. Yeah. I'm thinking of, like, have you ever seen the film The French Connection with uh, Gene Hackman and um, Roy, Sh- Roy Schneider? No. Um, I, I, I recommend watching it. There's a, there's a, they, they play this whole, they're playing like, you know, the, there's an interrogation scene mm. and uh, it's, it's, it's apparently a technique that is used Um uh, that they borrowed from, but it was kind of made famous, you know, on film circles through this scene. And basically Gene Cat- Hackman's character, um, so Roy Schneider's, sorry, Roy Schneider's character is trying to get drilled this information out of this guy and the guy's not giving it. So he's, Roy Schneider's character is telling him all these things. They know this guy's guilty for stuff, right? And he's drilling him with all these factual questions, but they, they can't pin him on stuff. And he's the one that's asking that. And then Gene Hackman is just randomly accusing him of something completely different. Mm. Um, and he's kind of like, Did I, didn't I see you at Poughkeepsie? Did I see you at Poughkeepsie? You're up there at Poughkeepsie. You were doing that thing. You were picking your feet. Why were you picking your feet at Poughkeepsie? And it's such a weird 
moment, weird thing to say. Mm. That he and he's so the the uh, the villain, the the guy is is like he gets so thrown off by what's saying. He has to answer something, and the only thing he can answer is is in truth, which is to answer Roy yep. Schneider. And yep. so he ends up admitting what he's done, and that's exactly the purpose. It's like to throw you off off scent. Or exactly, off. yeah. Um, Even reading body language and things like that, you'll always give yeah. up, especially if you're lying. That's why polygraphs don't work because yeah. you you you'll tell your truth. Yeah, with you, like you know, and uh, you'll try and lie because even your body will react in a certain way. So yeah. they're easy to get around of. But even if you're not, even if you are being completely truthful, yeah. you might sabotage the results. Yes. Um, and so it's yeah. Uh, but also the guy who made the polygraph was the guy who wrote um, uh, what was it, Wonder Woman, and uh, <laughs> also deb- said that it wasn't a good thing. It shouldn't be used for interrogations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Why but, do you but, yeah. Uh, okay. So, so at this point, yeah, things have gone right off the yeah, rails. Right off the rails. And so, yeah, so this is where he uh, just at that point, uh, so Halloran turns up. Um, and then basically Jack kind of ambushes him and mm. butchers him to death. Yeah. Um, with a, with and, and I remember seeing that as a kid, that sequence. Yeah, I remember that. that scared yeah. the shit out of me because yeah. he comes out of nowhere. Yeah, he does. And, and again, you you know where he's come from. He's hiding behind a fucking pillow, but yeah. the way that that shot and yeah. this, the pace, um, yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. yeah. Again, and and again, the connection with Dick and um, Danny is permanent because as he's getting, uh, as he's dying from the axe wound to his chest, yeah. um, Dick is, um, Danny is screaming in obvious connection with him, and so feeling yeah. and knowing that the situation is even worse off now. Yeah, yeah that's right. And that was, this is obviously a big ter- left turn from the book too, because like in the book, uh, Dick survives. Um, yes, he's he's brutally attacked by Jack, but he mm. kind of lives to tell the tale. Um, yeah. But what was I going to say? This sequence, I think, um, in the miniseries as well, was far more brutal because I think this is when. Uh, Wendy is around as well, and she gets like it's a croquet mallet in the miniseries. Oh, I'm pretty yeah, sure in the book, yeah, and that's in the book, yeah. Like, and she does, she gets completely. He has a lot of butchering going on in the book. Yeah, um, but, but again, in the miniseries, that that mallet is made terrifying by yeah. the guy who plays um, Jack, because um, with the blood going over his face, that sinister smile. Yeah. Uh, I think he has green eyes or something that just pop through yep. and then it's a bludgeoning thing like he hits her in the stomach or the back or yeah. something and you feel it and you go oh yeah like it's far more impacting that way having said that though it's a completely different thing with the shining him tearing down this this door is yeah. enough to let you go yeah we don't want to see him get to her yet like, yeah, yeah 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 happy to go yeah. to the credits <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so yeah so interesting yeah so they they kill off the dick character and so it's just down to wendy and danny now um mm-hmm. And this is where um, uh, Danny basically kind of runs off into the hedge maze. Uh, and Wendy's looking for Danny in, in the hotel. And this is where she kind of comes across all the ghost kind of images that, you know, there's these yeah, weird characters. The yeah, that's right. And the, the shot, I just remember that shot where she's looking through a, be- a bedroom door and there's this guy with a mask on and bending over by the bed and they kind of look out. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Weird moment. So, and again, um, with that big thing with the conspiracies, obviously, what yes. I was saying before about the homosexual commenta- uh, connotations with yes. it, um, there's a whole 
like you know sex subplot which they're saying that danny was lured into uh, and there was threesomes between the manager or what like you know there's a lot of conspiracies in 237 and stuff like that and and uh, around elsewhere but uh at, at this point that's one of the most prominent ones because again it looks like a very sexual position in which yes it does happening. yeah but then again having said that too if the lifestyle of those parties as well from that mm gold era that that perfect time yeah it might just be another emulation of spirits you know enjoying yeah. themselves yeah yeah, um, right. yeah and even within that when she's seeing those different cuts um sometimes you'll see skeletons sometimes you'll see real people sometimes yeah. you'll see axe wounded people or whatever yeah. um uh, but uh, with the theory about the gold room too with them saying that there's two gold rooms the first uh the, the real gold room which is the history room spills yeah. out onto the lobby um, and that's where Wendy sees the skeletons, all the party stuff and a lot of cobwebs. Um, and then she runs mm-hmm. to the hotel and you'll see the guy with the axe on his face and you'll see the, the bear in the room. Yes. Um, and things. Um, oh, bear. I forgot about the bear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, it would bring a bear costume. I think that was the one kneeling down, giving the guy possibly yeah. a blowjob. Yeah, that's um, right. Both yeah. look very inquisitive. Yeah. Um, but that, that idea again of, I, I was even thinking separation of going like, you know, reality saying the skeletons are in the real area where the real gold room party would have been with like, when they had this party yeah and then the fictitious party room, which is how they saw themselves, you yeah. know, this grand ballroom with, yes. with their money surrounded by this lavish, like, yeah. you know, sexual things going off to a room, you know, and yeah. costumes and, uh, yeah. you know, grand affairs, prohibition times, still having alcohol and, yeah. and having money and being the elite. Um, and seeing that throughout the, the, the her shots throughout is, is very interesting. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's right. Yeah. And, but this is also a point where, you know, talking about unraveling, this is the vision stuff that she happen, happens to see is another yeah. indication of, I guess, the cracks kind of um, becoming yeah. more obvious. Um, yeah. And maybe that was the point of Kubrick that the, the supernatural element coming in at that point earlier that we were talking about. That mm. was literally the door opening for the cracks to start appearing. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, or maybe in another conspiracy. But, um, yeah, but I just had a thought. Yeah. It's reminded me back to the, the freezer sequence. In yes. the making of documentary that Vivian Kubrick was shooting, there's yeah. a slow motion shot of Jack Nicholson doing like uh, juggling a couple of things in that pantry room. And in that shot, in the background, Delbert Grady is standing there in his tuxedo. Oh, yeah. So whether or not he was just there as dialogue and it was he was still in costume because they'd shot the previous sequence. Oh, maybe, yeah. Or whether or not there was something that possibly he was going to physically manifest himself in that room. Right. Um, so I just, I, I just remember seeing that and that just open thought. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's all good. I like it. Um, okay, cool. Let, let's let's try and wrap this bad boy up. So, yes. Danny um, Danny's in the head mage, and this is where uh, Jack finds him. Well, basically, yep. So he goes in pursuit of him, screaming "Danny!" Uh, the whole time, and Danny is very intelligent by like uh, back stepping, like stepping back into the other footsteps, so that he's giving him a false trail. Yeah. Yeah. But and then he uh, kind yeah. of hides behind this snowbank, doesn't he? Mm. Uh, and then uh, and uh, Jack keeps on going, and then Danny kind of runs back out. He then meets up with Mum, Wendy outside, and they basically leave in the snowcat thing that Halloran came in. Uh, mm. And basically, Jack keeps kind of looking, and he 
uh, then we do this kind of real quick snap cut of him frozen to death, essentially. Yeah. Inside the maze. Yeah. And then uh, and then we're given like the photograph moment in the hotel hallway and it kind of zooms in and it's revealed that Jack is amongst the crowd of the party right at the front. Um, and it's uh, printed with the date 1921. Mm-hmm. And then we July get... July 4th? I think so, yeah, Independence Day. July 1921. Yeah, so it would have been a 4th of July party. Uh, yeah, so part of me got a bit confused. When I first watched that, I was a bit confused with that ending because mm-hmm. I was like thinking, is this a Twilight Zone kind of thing where when Jack has passed away, he's then absorbed into that era along with mm-hmm. the other spirits and stuff. So it's this heyday year and, and absorbed. Or, or was it that a version of him existed in 1921 at the time. Mm. Well, yeah. Um, Even with the intergenerational thing, I think both of those explanations could work out because yeah. we know that there's been the force, or at least we have, it appears that the force of the hotel has definitely um, been trying to give him the best representation that obviously he likes and he yeah. becomes and wants to be involved in. So that seems to be like a, a perfect ending for at least him if he did end up as, as that being his afterlife. Yes. Or, you know, being involved in that some way. Having said that, with the Charles Grady, Delbert Grady, I'm more in, I'm not more inclined to believe because, again, this photo is something that I think everyone takes away what they want to and should. Yes. You know, it's not saying I want to influence anything, but it does incline me to give a little bit more credit uh, and weight to the theory that it could be, as you said, generational. And maybe that was a previous caretaker that, you know, um, was him in 1921. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if that would have lined up. Maybe he was the one before Delbert Grady. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. I don't know. There's a lot of things that's going on there. Um, well, I was even going to say, it, conspiracy-wise as well, that photo, um, I actually found the original photo that it was taken from. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's a, a get-together at what... Um, of just like a small group of people, but they're around the gold standard. And the man is a very odd looking man who actually reminds me a lot of the guy who plays the MC in Cabaret, uh, the uh, Liza Minnelli movie. Yeah. Um, so look, yeah, but I, I assume he's an MC because you'll notice as well, if you watch that again, um, in Jack Nicholson's hand, he's holding a little note and I'm pretty sure it's a little piece of paper that just has his like running order um, or like, you know, names of what he's got to say, but yeah. all around him are different people uh, that are um, intrinsic with the gold standard and the federal bank changeover, um, all at different ages. Now, again, this is, I, I don't know if this is actually, I haven't cross-referenced myself, but in the gold standard video, it goes into um, a man zooming right into that and looking at each of these photos and saying, this could possibly be who it is. And he, he shows examples next to them. And obviously it's a very pixelated things, but um, he suggests that <clears throat> this might've been a, compo- a compilation most possibly of a whole bunch of different people that Stanley Kubrick wanted to like, you know, um, be an archetype of that period. So he got all of these people who um, from probably different photos and pushed them all in together. Cause again, he's worked with photos all his life. Yeah. Know how to do that. And then created this perspective photo because we do, we've we've got in the making of documentary, a shot of Jack Nicholson getting dressed up in that tuxedo and he doesn't wear that anywhere else except for that scene. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which, he took photos, uh, Kubrick took photos at different lengths to try and match the grain for that. But um, yeah, you can find that on the internet as well and superimpose your own little face over the top of it. Now everyone's got um, Photoshop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's interestingly enough, <clears throat> when he sh- points to a couple of people and you look at the who he thinks it could be, it does 
like look very similar to those people. And again, it, it lends a little bit more credence to that idea of it being this quintessential archetype of where people were in that era saying we're the elite, we're the happy ones, where we are and we don't want to change. Um, yes. Yeah. And he's at the head of that. He's the one everyone's looking up to and, and, and everything. So yeah, I, I, I love that because it, it could mean so many different things. It could just mean an afterlife of this is where he went. It could mean he went back to that time and he's now reliving that. It could yeah. just mean he's in a purgatory and it's like a frozen image. Like, you know, it could be a horror type thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Um, it, it could, I even just always think that what we're seeing as the audience isn't necessarily the real world that is portrayed in the, the thing. So it could even just be, that's what we saw because that's where Jack wanted to be. And we yeah. were pretty much seeing Jack's story. Um, um, yeah. Um, also throughout the, the other pictures on the wall, as I said before, were um, other people who were influential at that time. Um, there's, I want to say Jackie Mason. Um, I might be wrong with that, but he's in, if you go down one and to the left of where we're looking at the camera of that photo, yeah. he's looking up with his partner up at the photo of Jack Nicholson. And he actually visited the set because he was in one of Stanley Kubrick's films before, which, oh, whose name escapes me at the moment, but he visited, visits the set and you see that in the Vivian, doc, uh, Vivian Kubrick documentary. Yeah. Wow. Where, um, yeah. He's walking around and, and so, like they're talking to them and stuff. Um, so yeah, whether or not exactly that's that, whether or not it was hints, whether or not it was just Easter eggs, like you know, you've got a whole bunch of people working on these films and they don't know if it's going to be even seen, and they're just yeah, trying yeah, dress a set. So you could be putting jokes in there, and a lot of the time people do. Like look at the um, animations that the, they put sex in there and say no one will ever see it, and then they have to edit it out. Yeah, yeah, later. that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's not fuck ups like in Jurassic Park where you'll have one frame dropped out when a T Rex like asset disappears. <laughs> just, <laughs> <laughs> or, but, or, uh, or mysterious Starbucks coffee cups that appear in a <laughs> Game of Thrones. Yeah, I'm surprised that that wasn't like keyed out or photoshopped out. We've got the technology. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, all good. Yes, yeah, yeah. All right, so, man. So, so yeah, so that we come to we come to its bit of conclusion, and um, and I realised that we we have ranted and raved um, for good reason um, hmm. through this one. Um, and I feel like we could we could rant and rave another couple of hours on this. There's so much, so much there. And yeah. the more we talk about it, the more I want to talk more on it. Exactly. But yeah. For the sake of our podcasters uh, that come out and listen to this, um, maybe they should go away and come up with their own interpretation. Or maybe we'll come back and revisit The Shining uh, for its um, for its anniversary. They, they definitely tell us what they think, if, what yeah. their interpretations are. Absolutely. Absolutely, one hundred percent. But yeah, we should probably bow out on that. Other than um, to ask you the question, which I think we kind of answered anyway. But for the sake of uh, um, asking it and answering it, to uh, conclude our podcast, do you think the Shining still stands the test of time today? Um, and Absolutely. yeah, me too. Yeah. And uh, what do you think Doctor Sleep will do to hinder or aid that? film i guess we won't know until we see it but um well i i kind of liked when uh stephen king you know denounced the film sort of when it's not mine because it sort of made it its own yeah yeah thing, true in my mind yeah so and there's been the mini series that we said there's been yeah. like uh, so, like psycho the remake didn't make psycho the original any shittier 
No. Like, you know, it was still just as good. It was still had all its revolutionary things. And you look at it compared to, and you just go, yeah, like, how do you fuck that up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in this, it, it would be the same thing. If they tried to replicate this, and it doesn't seem like they're going to do that, they're going to pay homage, which I hope, I don't know, is done well. I don't, I don't know. Homage with the, the trailer mm. that I've, I've seen for Dr. Sleep could be done interestingly. Yeah. Well, it could just be flashbacks. Um, but again, they're visiting the same things. But I don't think it's going to hold a patch to it. I love Ewan McGregor. I think yeah. he's going to be brilliant in anything he does. Um, and, uh, and again, even if it's just going on the coattails of it, if it's a good story and it's delivered well, I think that, yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to encourage more people to go back and watch The Shining who maybe wouldn't have watched it before. Well, yeah. That's true. Time. That is really true. And like, at the time of record, um, recording this, we are yet to see... The film obviously Doctor Sleep and we but we are due to go and see it on screens. At the time of releasing this podcast, we would have already seen it. Uh, which is a bit of a weird weird situation. <laughs> um it's like it's moving in cycles again, I tell you. Um exactly. so yeah, so it'll be interesting to see our, our interpretation of that um, of the new film and we may well post our, our quick thoughts on that afterwards. So keep your eye um so you may already have seen our views by the time this podcast reaches your ears um but yeah until then um we should probably kind of as i say bow out and um so on that note i'm your lead host for this series my name is Saul Murty. i was joined um for this podcast by richard lovegrove and uh, the delightful shelly duvall hello i'm shelly duvall until shelly goodbye shelly see you shelly See you, Shelley. Thanks, Shelley. Love you, sir. Love you, Shelley. Love you. How do we become Joan Rivers all of a sudden? <laughs> You're a charm. You're a charm, darling. Uh, charm. But yes, if you haven't seen The Shining and you like horror films, what are you doing? Go out and see it. It's Go. Brilliant. Yeah, do it, man. Or watch it and tell us how wrong we were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do it. Do it. Okay. Until then, um, thanks for listening, everyone. Goodbye. Gio. You're listening. The Surgeons of Horror Podcast. Music supplied by Peter Nezik. For more discussions or podcasts, head over to surgeonsofhorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.